I was like, who is this character? Why are you doing this to me? This isn't even one of those new mutants you tried to make me care about. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is artist Josh Cornelion, who is here to talk to me about Pixie, a character from the relaunch of New Mutants back in the early aughts, who was sort of a background character and then rose to more and more prominence to ultimately become sort of the Jubilee or Kitty Pride of the aughts. Pixie's a character I have complicated feelings about. I have slowly, I think, been pixie-pilled over the course of this podcast, but I'm excited to talk about her with a big fan of the character. First and foremost, though, I would love to give a shout-out to Welsh listener Griffith Owain, who wrote in to inform me, and he has a question that we'll get to later. I've expressed dismay a couple times on this podcast that the two half-fairy mutants are both named Megan, because... That obviously is confusing. However, it has been brought to my attention by Griff. And it's spelled, by the way, Gruffid Ywain. I love Welsh. Welsh is so crazy. Griff tells me that in Wales, it's actually pronounced Megan. Oh. So we have Megan and Megan. And I'm just going to call her Pixie because I think I'm probably screwing that up. Right. But I'm glad to know that in universe, their names are pronounced differently. Yeah, that helps. Because I imagine for the characters, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. So we are here to talk about Megan Quinn. But first, let's get into my guest. Josh, how are you today? I'm good. It's a, it's a dreary Sunday, but what it's better raining, day to be yeah. inside? It's very Welsh, actually. It's, it's very Welsh. It's very comic appropriate. I'm half vaxxed. Life is good. I'm Oh, love that. We're moving for you. towards the summer. What more could I want? When do you get like full vaxxed? In a couple weeks. Um, May sixth is my is my return. Love that. Okay, well we'll have to uh we'll have to chat because we should get a drink once you're all set and judged and everything. Exactly. I'm fully vaxxed now and like processed fully or cooked. whatever. <laughs> yeah, my friends have been calling it marinating. They're like, <laughs> have you marinated yet? I went to a book club yesterday, mm. which was wild. Listener Rubot invited oh, me to... Oh, I know, to, Ru, yeah. Yeah, he invited me to his little gay comics book club in Manhattan, which was That's lovely. That's phenomenal. We talked about the Zeb Wells New Mutants, which Pixie factors into. Gorgeous. I always love revisiting that run, so it was mm-hmm. pleasing to revisit. And I was very touched to be invited as a guest to something. I hope I wasn't too annoying. I'm not used to it. <laughs> Being like, hello, I'm the special guest. I'm used to bringing my clients to things and like they have fans. Right. And I'm like running to and fro getting things. So for it to be like, hi, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I'm like, oh, that's. <laughs> and then This is your slow you transition know. to celebrity in the little the niche that we've got as comics people. <laughs> I love that niche, honestly, like part of why my work has never been a problem for me as a lit agent is that I don't really have a great interest in writing novels. I mean, maybe someday, mm-hmm. but it's not really something I want to do. But comics is something that does intrigue me. And because I don't work on comics as an agent, I work on graphic novels sometimes, but that's different. Like an original graphic novel project is a different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's been nice to sort of re-enter this world because I hadn't really been in the fandom. Yeah. 
you are best known in the fandom as a pretty prolific fan artist. Mm Mm-hmm. You have done redesigns for sites like Comics XF. You did that Himbo Angel <laughs> series that was very well received by yeah. gay ex Twitter. I like to think that this podcast maybe helped inspire that. A hundred percent. Series I mean, a little bit. It's yeah. all, it's like the catalyzed ex fandom and then just gay people being horny. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's my vibe, you know? The... So I relate to that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm excited to have you on. We talked about doing this quite some time ago, but I wanted to wait to do Pixie until Way of X Mm -hmm. had dropped. Actually, when I first, when you first put out the call saying you were doing this podcast, I jumped in and was like, if you ever want to do an episode about Pixie and you in the comments just wrote LMAO. (laughs) (laughs) And I was truly like, we're (laughs) never going to get to a Pixie episode, but I'm locking it down early. I appreciated the excitement and the enthusiasm. Well, because you've had also people who come at just the most random characters, which is the beauty of the X-Men, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Once I had done a Toad episode, really like, <laughs> all, all you know, the floodgates off. were open. I mean, I just did three fucking hours on the ladies' mastermind last week. And I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Me neither. It's a remarkably popular episode. I was really pleased with it. I mean, I, I said to Alex, I was like, this is going to be so stupid. I'm going to have a white claw. Let's just go. <laughs> but I was glad that he suggested that because I felt like it would be a good runway to a Pixie episode mm-hmm. because Pixie obviously weaves in and out of their story in a funny way. Yeah in Pixie Strikes Back. So sort of like how the Rachel episode primed the pump for the Strife episode, which I don't think would make much sense if Mm -hmm. you hadn't listened to the Rachel episode already. I think the Pixie episode probably makes less sense if you've already listened to the Ladies Mastermind episode (laughs) because the Ladies Mastermind are not enormously sensical. That's sort of their charm. But it felt like a good lead up to Way of X. Now we're in Way of X. The first issue came out. What did you mm-hmm. think? I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. I thought I, I really appreciated kind of the density of it in that mm-hmm. it feels like it's one of those books where I'm like, I want to make sure that we get like 35 issues of this because there's a lot to explore. Yes. Um, and I liked kind of all of the pieces that are being set up. And I really liked how tightly it centered on Kurt's kind of POV. I think that that made just a lot of the the questions that we've had about Krakoa, about where Kurt's perspective has been in all of this. Like, it, it was a, a really needed kind of centering on him. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if it was delayed because of COVID, like if it was supposed mm. to happen earlier, because... Definitely, it was set up in X-Men 7 with the Crucible issue. And then we've just kind of been like, where is Kurt since that happened? And I think like a lot of things at Marvel got delayed because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Whatever the long and winding road may be, I'm very happy it's here. I thought it was the strongest issue one probably since Hoxpox, like Mm. since this era began. I think it's really, really strong. Sword number one is like the other real competitor. I would give it to just in terms of such clarity. Those two are remarkably strong, just in terms of going, this is what the book is. Here's what it's about. Here are our characters. Mm -hmm. Are you with me? Are you following? Like, roll with it. Okay. I think that they accomplish different things. I think what Sword does that's so impressive is establish the setting of the peak and all of the characters and like what Sword does Mm -hmm. and how it operates very dramatically and 
quickly and well in that first issue. What I thought this did so well was, without answering any questions necessarily, mm-hmm. establish the stakes of the narrative and the ethos of the book very, very quickly. Yeah. I've seen some people unhappy about the crucible sequence in it and how violent it is and all that Mm -hmm. when we see this from kurt's perspective as an observer who is questioning the process Mm -hmm. it's obviously going to come across differently from the way we've seen it in the two previous times we've seen it the first was seeing it from melody guthrie's perspective as the person who wanted this And then the second time, we almost see it from Storm's perspective as Callisto's champion. Mm -hmm. So those are two very different empowered positions to be in where you're engaging in the ritual. Whereas Kurt observing it and wondering if it's the right thing to do. Chris Edelman pointed out on Twitter, a lot of people just sort of treat comics as though the narrative is third person omniscient like as though we're just sort of meant to accept exactly what we see but i think that in a comic like way of x that's very much from kurt's point of view Mm -hmm. it's more subjective than that and i think that that maybe is what is startling people or whatever but i think this book was necessary i'm really glad it's here i think that it is going to broaden the conversation about krakoa enormously most of what we have pieced together about Krakoan culture has been fans speculating and coming up with head cannons mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I think it's really good to see a book that's going to tackle that. And I hope, I mean, Seisperger has said that it's locked in for five issues, but could go longer. And I'm definitely hoping it goes yeah, absolutely. for quite some time. Because I think that, as you said, there's so much set up in that first issue mm-hmm that it would be a shame to only get five issues of it. So hopefully... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of that, like, the the promise of the X-Books right now is that we could have a book for so many facets of kind of Krakoan life and of yeah. X-Men kind of missions and, and perspectives. Um, so I say just keep them coming. Like, I want... I'm not going to be satisfied until there's like 45 ongoings. I know. And I feel like we're rapidly approaching. <laughs> we are. Yeah. I mean, things, you some know, things are which winding I'm fine down, with. Some things are winding up. Yeah. And I do like, I like that Cable's ending with 12 because Jerry wants to end mm-hmm. it there. Like, I really love a maxi series. I love something that is 10 or 12 or 20 issues and knows exactly when it's going to end and is shaping an arc that way. So I am excited for more of that. It just feels like we're in an era where nothing is going to be canceled unless they want to end it. Right. I could be wrong, but that is what it feels like right now. Yeah. Which is a pretty incredible thing for a comics line. Right. To have that kind of institutional support behind a whole line of books. And with such a unified vision to especially yeah. just what we hear about what's kind of going on in the writer's room. I think that that feels so important. And, and even like this conversation about the crucible, just the fact that there have been so many kind of pieces contributing to that, but not in this book yeah. way of X, but in every single book and the conversation about resurrection, like that's happening across several books at once. Um, and the conversation about, you know, what does it mean to be a mutant in the human world? That's happening across several books at once not just children of the atom or not just this or that right even though we've only seen the crucible now three times Mm -hmm. we hear about it in other books yeah because of that collective writer's room vibe where they're all bouncing ideas Mm -hmm. off each other 
Leah Williams talks about it in X Factor in the issue with Wind Dancer coming back right. because there is sort of this idea of, well, is what she did any different from the Crucible? Exactly. Right? And Leah mentioned on Twitter that she had cut a scene where Hellion explains that he hasn't done the Crucible to get his hands back because he feels that it's important that the depowered mutants get to do it first. Mm, yeah, yeah. And now that's an out-of-universe explanation for why we don't want to undisable the disabled character, right. which is its own conversation. But the fact that this is something that's being considered, why are certain characters doing it? Why are certain characters not doing it? In Children of the Atom, mm -hmm. when we see the Hell's Bells and they're welcome to Krakoa, yeah. the fact of the matter is we as readers know, and the Hell's Bells don't, and the Children of the Atom certainly don't, that if the Hell's Bells want their powers back, they're going to have to do the Crucible. Yeah. And that's a subtext there that is interesting to think about mm -hmm. the conversations about Madeline Pryor and about who can be resurrected. All of this sort of comes back around and it all feeds into Dr. Nemesis's data page that we finally get mm -hmm. in Way of X number one, where he points out that the resurrection protocols are self-selecting. It's a new form of eugenics on some level. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to hear from that character. I don't know. We'll get into this someday in a Dr. Nemesis episode. But Dr. Nemesis, who worked for Nazi Germany and then had a crisis of conscience and became a Nazi hunter, is an interesting character in a lot of ways. <laughs> but he knows eugenics and he knows, you know, that kind of yeah. thumb on the scale thing. So it's just an interesting thought. And I don't think we're necessarily supposed to agree with him 100% or supposed to, but I think it's certainly we're supposed to think about it. But we're yeah. supposed to question if you can only get your powers back by being willing to die in combat, where does that leave a lot of depowered mutants who aren't going to do that? Mm -hmm. And why are we valorizing that over other traits? Yeah, 100%. The precogs thing, I mean... Ending the issue at Blindfold's grave is obviously opening us to the question of why isn't Ruth back? Right. Now, the excuse I think that they'll probably use in universe, like that the Quiet Council uses, is that Ruth died by suicide. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're like, you know, her wishes were to die. But I can't imagine people will find that satisfying as a, uh, you know what I mean? Right. So it's going to be... suicide in a world... With a, a whole other kind of set of conditions, does that still apply to Krakoa? I've been asked about the Larry Bodine story from the 80s mm -hmm. and whether I think they should bring Larry Bodine back, even though he died by suicide. And I absolutely do, because I think that if Larry Bodine knew about Krakoa, he wouldn't have died by suicide. Right. You know, it's a thorny problem yeah. because there are real world considerations, like with the disability question. Yeah. But I think that with tragic suicides who would otherwise maybe not have harmed themselves. I think right. that that's a very, you know, it's different. There's a, an issue in Generation Hope, uh, which I mm -hmm. I love that series, but um, also stars Pixie. Um, but uh, a new emerging mutant at that time when, when mutants are newly emerging, Hope has to get to them to kind of stabilize their powers. That's part of yes. the, it's like an erratic um, kind of mutation er erupts. I mean, that character uh, can't handle it. And he thinks something's going totally wrong and his skin is like melting off and he he takes his life. Um, and I think that that would be a really interesting character to revisit, especially with Hope bringing him back and saying like, we now have the conditions, you know, I can get to you in time if your mutation is still doing this. Or you took your life in a in a scenario where you really thought being a mutant was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. It opens a lot of possibilities, yeah. and Ruth's case may be used to delve into some of that more. Anyway, 
Great issue. If you haven't read Way of X, number one, I hardly recommend it. I also think it characterizes Magneto extraordinarily well in a way that is unusual, which is that it manages to address a 60s Magneto story and have contemporary Magneto explain it in a way that makes sense, mm -hmm. which is always very <laughs> nice because as we've talked about at length on this podcast, 60s Magneto and the Claremont Magneto are often very irreconcilable as characters. So when someone makes an effort and it actually makes sense, it's nice to see that. In any case, before we get into Pixie herself, I would love to hear your origin story as to how you got into the X-Men, why these characters mean so much to you, and why you wanted to talk about Megan specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am French-American. Uh, I was born in Nice. Uh, so comics are really huge in France. It's always been kind of something about... Uh, it's It's been a really large market there. It's a, a super big kind of comics community. So my dad was always very quick to give us comics growing up, but never really superhero comics. Um, and then coming over to the US, um, superhero comics are kind of the the number one thing here. So I would dabble in like some black and white Avengers and um, X-Men, like the classics Omnibus. The essential the Essentials, that's what it was. Yeah. We had a couple volumes of those. And I think that it was probably kind of a slow burn. The movies probably had something to do with it. I don't even know... The first movie came out in 99, right? It was, yeah, like 2000. Okay, so I would have been like six or seven. It was probably just kind of a slow burn of all of those elements. I remember reading the the giant size, kind of the storm team onward, but it ended, that Essentials ended right before Dark Phoenix. So I just had a That's huge so love for Jean Grey, but <laughs> never knew the kind of the off the deep end story of things until way too late. But I think it all kind of catalyzed, this was probably in high school, um, where I was thinking about myself as an artist and thinking about what kind of work I wanted to do as like an illustrator. I had never really considered comics because every time I would pick up like an American comic, it was this DC kind of house style, very gritty, very like, mm -hmm. th there was a sense of heaviness to it. And my stuff has never kind of had that, that element to it. Or the, the other alternative that I was seeing a lot of was, was manga, of course. Right. But it wasn't until my brother brought home from the supermarket, he had picked up an issue of Uncanny X-Men 505. I remember it so distinctly. And it has that Terry Dodson cover of Cyclops and Pixies on it, Dazzler's on it, Emma. And it's this just really, Terry Dodson has this incredible style that manages to be kind of cartoon referencing, but also very full figured and very um very comic booky. Yeah, full figured is right. <laughs> Voluptuous As is women the way I would are put it. Shapely. <laughs> it feels very like Adam Hughes influenced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me. And in discovering Adam Hughes was huge. That was back in my kind of deviant art days. Yeah. Um, but finding <laughs> artists that were doing American comic books in a way that I felt like was was what I wanted to do. Right. Um, yeah. Immediately kind of turned me onto that. And that issue is right before the sisterhood arc of Kenny X-Men. It's the Brubaker fraction handover. Exactly. Um, that little transition. So I had no idea what was going on. And Wikipedia was my best friend, but I decided to start dabbling into 
kind of more self-contained stuff. So I started reading um, New X-Men I could get a trade of, the the young kids version of it. Gotcha. Not the good New X-Men. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. People are going to kill me. Oh my but... God. I'm here to represent the Academy <laughs> X-Stands. Um, I know. I. They are Legion and I am their They voice. are. <laughs> they are. And they are very irate. They are. They have very strong feelings. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Listen, I love the passion, right? And I've said many times on this podcast, the class of students when you come in to the X Men mm-hmm. are often the characters you're going to gravitate yeah. most toward wherever you came in, and so it makes perfect sense that your first big X Men moment was like, "Oh, Pixie is the main character," which right. she is in that story. It was specifically right after Decimation. I got that trade, mm-hmm. um, and it's got Mark Brooks art, very cool. But it starts with with buses full of children exploding, exploding, yeah, and. In my like little teenage brain, I was like, this is so cool. I was like, this is what I want, like a dark kind of story that puts these teens through it. Um, and now, like, if I, if they were to write a story about a bunch of teens blowing up in a bus, I'd be like, God, like, that's heavy. Yeah, I think that that Kyle and Yost run in particular mm-hmm. is just so brutal. And I think that that's why it's part of why I didn't gravitate yeah. towards it when it was coming out. I mean, I was so turned off by the decimation Mm -hmm. that I was just kind of like, I'm out at the moment. Yeah. I didn't feel enormously compelled to jump back in because I felt like every time I looked in, like I read Quest for Magic. I don't know. I just felt like these kids were constantly being tortured and I didn't care that much about them to begin with because I hadn't read the initial Mm -hmm. story. So I wasn't super invested in them. And it was like, all right, how many of these kids can you torture and murder? Right. They just keep dying. (laughs) And I think that that is why the fans who grew up with that generation of students are so passionate about them. Yeah. You all watched them suffer so enormously that you want them to come out the other end. Right. And I think that's why issue five of the Williams and Balzan X Factor struck such a chord. Mm -hmm. It struck a chord with me even because I was like, oh, because it's in the wake of Morrison's new X-Men and there are so many more mutants, right? Which is why they blew a lot of them up on a bus after the decimation. These kids, more than any other generation of X-students, represent the promise of Krakoa in the sense that Krakoa can bring them back. Krakoa can make them Mm -hmm. whole. They are with their friends again. That moment where there's like a hundred of them standing around in the boneyard is very moving in that sense because you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, only like 20 of these characters made it out of that book alive. Mm -hmm. So I'm very happy for all of you. I still (laughs) find it difficult to care about most of them because I just, they're not... They're not my kids. I mean, I right? think that that's entirely fair. Like when I, I've been trying to read, so so I'm super versed on, I would say, most X books like 2005 onward, because that's just when I. It's earlier than when I was actually reading, but it's kind of the the era that these students were around, and a lot of the stories that kind of have more lasting repercussions, I guess, have been around. Um, yeah. So that's where I've read a lot of, but going back and trying to read. Older stuff, I've been doing kind of a Claremont reread, but I also tried reading Gen X, and I realized I was just not clicking with any of the characters. I was like, these mm-hmm. are not my, this is not my generation of students. Yeah, Gen X were not my kids either, because mm-hmm. I had started reading the old stuff early, so my kids were Kitty and the New Mutants. Right. And Rachel, I guess, like is part of that set. But it was like, when Gen X happened, I thought Monet was cool, Mm -hmm. And I thought Penance was a cool design. Yeah. 
And that was about as far as my Gen X feelings. Oh, like Banshee was hot in Gen X. <laughs> Banshee stays hot. Banshee stays hot, but he was especially hot in Gen X. Yeah. Like it was a it was a moment where Banshee was allowed to meet his yeah, hotness potential. Absolute Dilf vibes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean I, I think it's hard to break in to a new student class. Like for me, a book called The New Mutants that wasn't about my new mutants mm-hmm. i was like i mean like danny and sean and rain are there <laughs> but is rain there is <laughs> but she is really? rain there or has she been replaced by a pod person in the mid 90s yeah i actually was struck looking back at this stuff for this episode by the fact that pixie squad the paragons i had forgotten this entirely mm-hmm. is first rain squad that yeah is left without a mentor when she gets fired for fucking a student. Yeah. Which is an arc I still can't really believe they did. Yeah, I mean, if you really, that's like irreparable character damage if you think about it. Yeah, no, she's done. I really think that character was poisoned by that story and has never recovered from it. Yeah, if we think about her on Krakow, it's best to just kind of be like... That didn't happen. It's a reset. It's a reset. I mean, they kill her off and they brought her back circa like 1988. And that's fine. That's beautiful. It's sort of the vibe. Yeah. I mean, Vita Ayala is dealing with the hell Lord Asgardian baby issue, clearly. So listen, I'd read Vita write the phone book. Exactly. That book is so good. That book is so good. But I personally would be happy to dwy 1990 through (laughs) 2019 for that character. And then after Rain gets fired, their replacement mentor is Magma. And I was like, these kids never had a chance. <laughs> I mean, most of her squad is dead. So, I mean, di- or died. So they didn't yeah, really it was didn't not have great. a chance. DJ, although he's back now. He's back, yeah, But he he's blew viable. up. Trance just got screwed because her name was Hope. And then they introduced the important Hope. And yeah. so, sorry. I remember reading a like Tumblr era fan fiction that was like from Trance's perspective of her just being pissed off that there's a new Hope that everyone cares yeah, about. Yeah, who everybody calls Hope. And it's like, well, now you're just Trance, <laughs> bitch. It's Pixie's Megan problem. I mean, the Megan thing is really helpful. Right. Pixie at least sounds like a name. Mm-hmm. It is a name at times. My sister went to a private school with a girl named Pixie yeah, yeah. because it was one of those private schools with like Muffies and Dotties <laughs> and Mipsies and whatnot. Shout out to Greenwich Academy. But Trance is not a name right. that you call someone, really. And, so and she, she was just never, kinda... she never kind of had the, like, uh, she wasn't she never super got the visually distinctive enough. She has the cool astral projection right. visual, but the problem with astral projection, if it's your only power, is that it's very situational, right? Right, and... If you see her in a team shot, you're like, where's her body? Like, is that is it around the corner? <laughs> right, you're like, who's that? I feel like she has the same issue that Karma has where all the other telepaths can do her one thing, but also do like 50 other things. Yeah. So that's the other problem for her. I think the kids who rose to prominence in that era are the ones who you can spot in a background. Yeah, they have strong visual signifiers. Pixie has wings and pink hair. And, you know, you can like, oh, that one. On the other hand, Surge was very visually distinctive and she dropped off the map. 
I feel like Surge and Pixie were two of the characters I responded poorly to mm. because of the visuals, actually. Yeah. They seemed to me like anime characters that had been put <laughs> in X-Men. Yeah. And I like anime, but it didn't feel like a natural... It felt very much like, this is what the kids are into these days. Right. Here's a girl with blue hair who has tech gauntlets, and here is... A fairy. Like, it was just very, you know, yeah. huh. They just stuck out to me a little bit. I think particularly with Pixie, my issue was from that Paragons era where it's like her and Trance and Wolf Cub and all those people just like hanging out. Mm -hmm. She looks about 12 in those issues and she wears like a bike helmet yeah. and she's a little kid. And that was fine with me. I was just like, this is kind of stupid, but like, whatever. Right, she's like kids. a joke character, yeah. so it's fine, right? And then... Greg Land mm -hmm. draws that free comic book day issue in 2008 where she joins the team. And it's a well-written issue. It's Mike Carey. Yeah. But it has the eternal Greg Land struggle, which is that he only draws women who are roughly 27 and they're all traced from sexy models. So this child was suddenly very adult. Yeah, she's in like a little leotard playing baseball and it's like... Where did that visual come from? And she's from? got big tits. Yeah. I found the whole thing really unappealing. Mm -hmm. I, I found that to be troubling. And that's when the character took off. And it felt very forced to me. It was like, oh, she's hot now. And now she's the new Shadowcat or the new Jubilee. Right. I was like, who is this character? Why are you doing this to me? This isn't even one of those new mutants you tried to make me care about. You know, like it was just like a random left field choice. I also, as someone who really loved the Morrison book thought it was and this i still think is fucked up angel salvador is right there mm. and was established in the morrison run as like that new character right and then instead of that black character who was saying something about like what it means to be a mutant who's not perceived as beautiful because her powers were gross yeah her insect wings were seen as disgusting by people to decimate that character in the decimation, write her out, and then replace her by making the white bug girl mm -hmm. into a sex pot. I found the whole thing just yeah. off-putting. It's not Pixie's fault. Like, that's what I've come to sort of, you know, right. appreciate as I've read more of the stories that she's actually in. But I was so initially turned off. I was like, oh, okay, we got to turn this pink-haired anime girl into the star now. I was just not feeling it. Yeah, I think Angel gets dealt just a, a tough card. A shitty card. hand. Yeah. And I think I, I've seen fans of color kind of speak more eloquently about it, but I think Morrison doesn't live up to their promise for Angel either. No, I think Angel falls by the wayside yeah. midway through that book. And that is one of the, it comes back around in Planet X, but you've kind of lost touch with Angel and Beak for a long time. Right. And I do think that that's a bit of a drop ball. Yeah. And that teen pregnancy storyline. Is problematic. Yes, It's tough, but yeah, I'm excited to see Angel back. I'm confused why she's going by Tempest again from that very weird from the very weird New Warriors yeah. book where they were depowered, I assume it's because there's already an angel. I guess that makes sense. I think it makes sense. I mean, I'd like to dig deeper into it, but Angel Salvador does not like her powers. Never right. did. So the idea that she is more comfortable using those tech powers 
is kind of interesting. I think that that could be an interesting. The problem story. is that then that makes her redundant with Oya, who exactly. has those same powers naturally, right? And who is also a black character in that age group. Right. So. Angel Salvador just has a lot of problems, not least of which, I mean, naming her angel was a mistake to begin with because Warren was Archangel, you know, and was blue. And so I think that the Mm -hmm. thought at the time was that he was going to stay Archangel. Right. But that changed very quickly. She could have gotten a code name somewhere along the, the road, I guess. Yeah. And she just didn't until Tempest. But like Jubilee's not going by Wondra anymore so god like no one even talks about stacy x being ripcord because she died in that new warriors book and then she just came back without explanation so thank god we just don't yeah oh thank god but we just don't have to think about it exactly until until the stacy x prestige maxi series that which is all i want to write i mean it's not all i want to write but marvel should call me because i I have a lot of stacy x thoughts But actually, Psy just revealed in an interview that Stacey X will play a role in Way of X, which is exciting because I think that she and Kurt, yeah, like the priest and the whore is like, it's, you know, there's something you can do with that, right? In a classical sense. And like Pixie as the sort of virginal character. I mean, they literally play the have you died yet Mm -hmm. with the teens in Way of X as like, have you lost your virginity yet? Yeah, exactly. Which I thought was super clever. Very clever. So like, unlike, say a Whedon Madonna whore thing mm-hmm. where... Where nobody wins. <laughs> right, where no woman ever wins. I think that the... <laughs> I think that a Madonna whore thing with Pixie and Stacey X could actually be really fun, like, in terms of these are two different women who are both actualized and who are making their own choices, and mm-hmm. it's fine. And, I, like, and that I would be cool. Would not and they can work together. Like, exactly. that would be cool. Right, yeah, that would be fun. To go back, I agree with you that Surge's side... I actually think Surge got dropped for a couple reasons if I like really think about it one is that she was so of an aesthetic moment Mm -hmm. like she looks like not just anime but anime like of that year yeah she's very early 2000s yeah and then also she was a bitch (laughs) I love that about her though (laughs) no I do too I like that's what I like about that character but with fans, that doesn't always resonate, right? right? Like being the sort of tough girl who is tough, like actually tough, mm-hmm. not like, oh, she's like a, a tough girl, like, yeah. but like actually is sort of abrasive and unpleasant. I think Surge also um, went head to head with armor. Um, there were two Japanese yeah. uh, mutants from Japan, two teenage girls who had been kind of had a storyline that was like, they've got tons of leadership potential. They might be the future And of the who X-Men. both have like anime inspired powers. Exactly. And, and unfortunately for Surge, she was in a book that wasn't enormously popular. Yeah. Whereas Armor was a Joss Whedon creation exactly. in a Joss Whedon book that everybody read. And she has such a cool visual kind of signifier. You can throw her in the back of a battle and you can tell that she's there. That's the thing. She's there. You see that's Armor over there. Exactly. I couldn't tell you jack and shit about Armor. Someday I I'll have to for an armor episode. Oh my gosh, she's one of my faves too. See, yeah, she's never quite hit for me. I think because I think my problem with a lot of that stuff is like I was a little older than you when this all hit because I am a little older than you. <laughs> so yes, that is how time works. I'm a genius. Thank you for, you know, bearing with me while I figured that one out. No. But um I think that by the time the Whedon run sort of concluded and I was a huge Buffy and Angel fan. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge, huge. Still am, yeah. like, for all their faults. I think I had soured to some extent on Whedon. I was very, like, 
I was very team charisma in all of that stuff circa right. 2003. So like, you know, and I think that armor to me just felt very like armor and blindfold in particular, mm. I was turned off by because they felt very weeden by numbers to me in some respects. It was like, oh, this girl, like she's a plucky teenager with armor. It just felt very like yeah. his sticky thing and then with blindfold it was like here's a teenage girl who suffers and right. i was just like great cool love that joss like <laughs> i know like, keep banging that drum and both of those characters i think were rescued somewhat by later writers yeah ruth in particular because cy spurrier mm -hmm. took such an interest in her in legacy with legion which is why she's come back up in way of yeah, x i'm excited for that and armor really just because like you said she's so visually striking that it's fun to put her in a group shot yeah it's fun to put her in a fight so people just kept using her yeah she's never quite hit for me whereas pixie now reading all of this stuff mm -hmm. with the benefit of hindsight knowing that Krakoa will come knowing that utopia isn't like there was just something about she was so identified with the utopia era yeah she was the face of it almost in the way that kitty is the face of the 80s yeah, and I jubilee mean, is the face of the 90s that is her golden era right there yeah and it's the era that while i love the mike carey run I just hate the decimation so much mm -hmm. that she sort of became emblematic to me of like, oh, the X-Men is bad now. And <laughs> that's the girl who's like the star, right? And that's not quite fair because going back, there are a lot of stories that I think are good. And now that I know the order from on high to get rid of all the mutants won't last forever, it's a lot more... It's more palatable. Palatable to read these stories. Like revisiting... I don't know, I'm not crazy about X Infernus, but revisiting um actually the best moments in X Infernus are all Pixie. Yeah. I, I reread it for this and it's absolutely When she uh loses control with Kurt in the, and just in the danger of I had forgotten <laughs> Yeah, with her soul dagger. I had forgotten their this is why revisiting for this episode has been interesting. I had forgotten that Pixie and Kurt have a very long standing relationship. Mm -hmm. Because he was training her after the Dark Child taught her how to teleport. Yeah. He started training her in the teleportation. And then he dies, of course, in Second Coming. Yeah. And it's this big tragedy. So there's something to their relationship. It's almost Wolverine and Kitty or Wolverine and Jubilee-esque. Mm -hmm. And when I initially saw the teasers for Way of X, I was like, Nightcrawler and Pixie. Like, I guess they're both fantasy-looking mutants. But I hadn't remembered that in the Utopia period they yeah. had sort of a real bond. She pulls the soul sword out of him, which I had also completely forgotten forgotten about the soul sword that amanda put in there in the roberto gary sakasa nightcrawler mini series mm -hmm. which like that's a pull i love that mini but it's never referenced anywhere else right. and so i forgot that it inferred us it was like no that's where the soul sword is remember that mini <laughs> i'm like yes time. i do i love that mini um yeah i mean kurt really has to contend with the fact that she becomes basically the new team teleporter and she's more effective at it because she can teleport a ton of people he had this same complex about eliana in the 80s right so it just keeps happening well, and is pixie him. kind of not eliana light for those she is for that era she and is. then really yeah. falls off once eliana is brought back well that's the thing that's interesting is once eliana becomes 
and it is shocking to me the trajectory that Ilyana has had. Yeah, it's huge. As someone who never read the New Mutants, I was like, who is this character? Oh, she's everywhere now. And yeah. you go on her Wikipedia, which is how I was figuring out like every character's history back then. Or yeah. shout out to Comic Vine, which used to be incredible and is now not so good. But just reading who Ileana was without having kind of access to those New Mutants issues, I was like, this character is crazy and you're bringing her back? Like, what's going on? I was obsessed with Ileana as a kid because I had read that stuff, mm. the old stuff. And then my whole life, essentially, she was dead and fans were demanding her return. But it was like, this is never going to happen. It was very Gwen Stacy or Uncle Ben or Bucky. It was like one of those characters that is going to stay dead. Yeah. And they would bring her back, they would cheat, like they would do a time travel story, Mm -hmm. they had an evil version of her in Exiles for a minute, you would have these moments where it was like, here's an Ilyana, but it's not the real one because we're not doing that, because the legacy virus story is important, right? And especially once Pyotr died to end the legacy virus, they were like bookends, right? And it was like, the Rasputins are dead, this is important. Then Whedon brought Pyotr back. So that was over. Mm -hmm. And then shortly thereafter, really, they bring Ileana back. And I was excited about that. But then I read Quest for Magic and Infernus. And at least initially, it's not really her. Yeah, it's the most evil version possible. Right. It's a dark child that's been recreated without Ileana's soul. For me, as someone who was attached to the character in part because of her grappling with her darker nature, like, here's the dark child, was just not mm-hmm. as satisfying to me until the Zeb Wells run. Right, where I was going to say, it, it kind he of all sells feels the shit out of worth it. it because that story yes. is so good. So good. It's so good that I'm almost now bummed that Ilyana is more back to normal. Mm-hmm. Because the Zeb Wells Ilyana is so great. She has kind of gone from, like like, hot goth to hot jock. I would say, like, my biggest complaint is it was Bendis who really made her the new, like, Wolverine-level popularity kind of character. People love that Botchelor design, which I'm not crazy about. I love the little Kirby hat. I love the cute for sure. That's cute. I don't like the titty window. Mm -hmm. I don't like the hot pants. I do think that, I don't know, we'll get into this in a magic episode someday, but I do think that it makes sense that Ileana dresses provocatively, but I find that outfit... I don't know, whatever. It's stuck at this point and we're stuck with it. So I just miss, I, I miss the silver armor that would sort of generate over her body. I miss that stuff. Yeah, I that's think a it's cool, cool visual element. Yeah, but I, I mean, at least this outfit still is asymmetrical with the armor arm because mm-hmm. that's like, that is magic. Like you can't, you know. But anyway, all this to say, when Bendis sort of made her a star, I'm thrilled that a whole new generation loves Ilyana. And when she's written right... I say right. When she's written in a way I agree with, (laughs) she's still a really fantastic character that I recognize. Like, I like how Vita wrote her in The New Mutants recently. Mm -hmm. I like how Hickman wrote her. Just this sense of, like, she's mean. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the key. What I didn't like was, particularly in the Inhumans versus X-Men era, she was, like, nice and, like, a nurturing kind of maternal character. Mm -hmm. The whole thing with Sapna. Like, I hated all of that stuff. And my one complaint on Krakoa, my one complaint that's not a thing about something happening in story, like, I'm upset about Madeline, but, like, that's a good story. You know what I mean? My one real complaint is that magic in a leadership role never quite clicks for me. Like, magic as this captain, magic teaching kids, I don't get it. 
that's Danny. Right, especially over Danny is kind of the... Yeah, like the idea that Danny isn't the captain. Or like Sam, or there's like several names that might be above magic. Yeah, it's just like Danny's whole thing in the 80s was like, she's the next Cyclops. Mm -hmm. It's said explicitly in the splash page with the Sienkiewicz art when like they each had a profile page that Claremont wrote that was like Xavier's notes on them or whatever. Like the whole point was that she was the character who sort of combined the best attributes of Cyclops and Storm Mm -hmm. and was someday going to be this great leader. And then she got screwed by the decimation, obviously. She and Pixie both kind of got screwed by the ascent of Ilyana. (laughs) Because once Ilyana's nice, there's no real place for Pixie. Because the point of Pixie, right, is that she's going through Ilyana's arc from the 80s. Like, she's been corrupted Mm -hmm. by this external demonic force in Limbo. But unlike Ilyana, who we don't meet until... Like, we meet her as a little child, but we don't meet, like, the Ilyana we come to know until after that's all happened. Mm -hmm. With Pixie, we see her go from this innocent 15-year-old, let's say, to... A 15-year-old with demonic essence inside her who's lost part of her soul, and it's a whole arc. But she's fundamentally a good, nice person who's grappling with that. Well, that's that's definitely what attached me to the character when I was kind of... Because I I very much entered around Second Coming, the Utopia Mm -hmm. era. Um, San Francisco, basically, was my jumping on point. So I still have a ton of fondness for those stories, even if there's very much like a misogynistic (laughs) under element to a lot of it. To... A lot of it. And I think that's another reason I was turned off. Because to me, X-Men is about the female characters. It's it's a little astonishing rereading it. But I did love it at the time. I still have a lot of kind of love for it. But Pixie, like, for so much of the story that really wants you to be like, her soul is missing. Like, she's got all this kind of darkness to her. Like, a lot of it just doesn't stick to her. No. Just like, as a character. And it's something that really catalyzes in Pixie Strikes Back. Early in the podcast, someone told me to read that. And I read it and it turned me around on the character almost completely. I mean, Pixie Strikes Back is incredible. If for anyone who like just came off of WandaVision and loved it, the best version yeah, of you that you're going to get is Pixie, Pixie Strikes, Strikes Back. Back. There's nothing sure. with Wanda in it that, that resembles that, but Pixie's doing Which that is story. even better. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but Pixie Strikes Back kind of catalyzes that so well that like... I, I remember reading that and thinking, getting to the end, and it's a it's kind of a, a dense story in a very Catherine Imminen-y way that she yes. she loves to kind of tell half the story and then make the reader kind of like figure out the Infer rest. Infer the rest, right, yeah. And it doesn't all hit, like every uh-huh. bit of it. 100%. But the stuff that hits is so great. Right. I think that it gets lost a little bit in the school fantasy at times mm-hmm. when you want it to progress faster yeah but honestly it's a four issue mini and i think it's paced pretty well yeah considering that and it's genuinely pretty scary at times like i think that the sarah pacelli art really helps with that but like you're worried for these girls you know not too worried because it's a lighthearted mini but like i don't know after just seeing the bus explode and all of that (laughs) shit like who knows what's gonna happen to these kids right you know if one of them had died i wouldn't have been shocked and it it leaves a lot of until the very end it leaves a lot of like pixie up in the air like you're just you're Mm -hmm. unsure how she's gonna get out of this specifically um but when you kind of figure out at the end like she doesn't seem to be kind of shocked that this is her mother like she knows that this is her mother yeah no she knows this woman which is wild she doesn't seem to be shocked that her mother's straight up doing magic. Right. And it has this element of like, oh, Pixie has known this whole time that she's half fairy, that, I mm-hmm. mean, she didn't know who her father was. At least she was. knows she's magical. Right. 
So there's just this undercurrent of like, oh, like she straight up came to the X-Men, like showed up in the free comic book day issue. It says that she like got a scholarship to go to Xavier's. Right. So she shows up and she's just like, I've got all this shit going on. Like I've got these crazy powers that may or may not be like some parts might be mutant. Some parts might be fairy. And I'm just not going to make that a huge deal. Like I'm not going to like. I'm not going to talk about it. Right. (laughs) She's just. She's like going through the motions of like living her absolute best life rocking out at Dazzler concerts. And she has this whole crazy ass backstory that she just doesn't give a fuck about. She's like, I'm here. I'm like partying. Right. And it's a funny retcon. Right. Because it's like. It's a lot like Moira being secretly a genetic scientist and Mm -hmm. showing up as the housekeeper. You're like, why was Pixie here this whole time not communicating Mm -hmm. that she's the daughter of a fairy of Otherworld who left her with this couple and she thought... Like, the fascinating thing is that Gwyn is just like whichever guy this fairy shacked up with Mm -hmm. and passed off this kid as his. Yeah, yeah. Like, that whole family is not her actual biological family, presumably, because they can't be Mrs. Gwynn's parents because they're not fairies. Right. And there was, theoretically, in the free comic book, like, there is that father who died down the mine. Mm -hmm. And then in Pixie Strikes Back, Mrs. Gwynn, as the only name she's given, is just like, oh, yeah, he wasn't really your dad, Mastermind. Right. She's like, you think that was your dad? That's crazy. (laughs) Right. But she's been raised by these grandparents. And Pixie's mom seems to have some kind of affinity for whales. She talks about it. So there's like all of these specifics of why she's there. Well, that's why I'm excited to see like, because Cy Spurrier is also writing Black Knight and Mm -hmm. is weaving in and out of all of the new Otherworld stuff that Teeny has established in Excalibur. Mm -hmm. And I know that Teeny and Cy are good friends. So I would love to see that all kind of come together somewhere there are questions about this later that we'll get to but like yeah it makes sense that she would feel bound to wales because avalon Mm, is okay yeah opposite the british isles right and ireland which is not a british isle (laughs) but like it sort of encompasses that region Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that like for all we know she's like from the underhill near right wales that just happens to spill out there or whatever her Tamlin ass. Like, I don't know what she's up to. But she should come back. It's wild that that character has only appeared in Pixie Strikes Back. Like, she has never returned. Pixie's never really gotten a Pixie-centric story since that. Yeah, I would say, like, Jen Hope is as close uh, yeah, as but that's... it's come. And she only comes in in the back half. Mm-hmm. And she's more of a complication because the right. story's about Hope. And Hope's boyfriend is into Pixie. Yeah. And Pixie is... It's funny. She comes in as sort of the other woman character, but it becomes clear very quickly that she's not okay with that. Right. She's like, I don't break the girly code. <laughs> right. She's like, girl code, I don't do that. Like, she doesn't know that Velocidad right. is dating Hope when they first start making out or whatever. And then she's like, you're a fucking ass. She hits him. Yeah. She's like, you tosser. <laughs> that was another thing. Like, I don't know. There are so many things that just, like, realizing that she has a funny accent was also charming for me. Mm-hmm. Like, because, you know, I love a funny accent. <laughs> I have a funny accent. So when I say a funny accent, that's not me being judgmental. Obviously, like I have an accent of my own. But God, I was like, in advance of this episode, I watched like a how to do a Welsh accent video (laughs) because I was like, you know, I have to try. And I got to say, it's a hard one. It's tricky. I think about it all the time because it's it's kind of a nuanced accent. But for people in the UK, it's extremely distinct. 
extremely distinctive. Like, yeah, no one here would know that I was getting it wrong, but I have like listeners in Wales and yeah. in Bristol and wherever, and they're just going to be like, no, that's not correct. I kept thinking about it during this past season of Drag Race UK, where Tace is a queen from, mm-hmm. from Wales. And I was like, gotta think about all those accent pieces, but... My favorite thing I learned is that they don't pronounce Y's really, which is funny because Welsh has so many fucking Y's in it, but apparently they don't pronounce the Y Mm -hmm. sound. So it's like, use is ooze. Mm -hmm. Like, can I use that? Which I think is delightful. Like, if I ooze my soul dagger, I'm like, ooze (laughs) it? And it's very sing-songy, which is how I talk naturally. So if I tried to put that on, no one would like, I already have a very musical voice, (laughs) right? It's just like very homosexual. So I don't know if that would come through. And then I, I saw like there were lots of like it into eh in that same Scottish kind of way. Yeah. So like, you know, Pixie's going to ooze her soul dagger. <laughs> dagger. Because <laughs> they roll the R's. I don't know. It seemed very hard. So I'm not going to try too hard. But to the UK listeners who wrote in like, we can't wait to hear your Welsh accent. <laughs> I'll make a go of it later, maybe. But it was it, it was pretty rough it's when I practiced. One. But there's just something funny about like, she's from Wales and actually a fairy. The actually a fairy thing is really, I think, what sold me because I said this last week. It's the Draco, but it knows it's stupid, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is another pairing of her and Kurt, right? Like, I hate the whole Kurt is actually descended from this demon mutant who was believed to be Satan by the ancients or whatever. That's really dumb. Right. And it's played completely straight in the Draco. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't this a cool reveal? I'm like, no, it's stupid. When it happens so late into Kurt's history that you're kind of like, what? Was there any benefit right, it's to 30 this? years later, you're like, this sucks. Especially when the point of him is that he's not really a exactly. demon, right? Whereas with Pixie, it's like, I think part of my initial distaste was I don't like when a character's powers are too neat in the sense that it feels like they were created by a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, like you want a mutant character to feel like this is something that happened to you and not I invented a magical girl fairy with pink hair who has pixie dust powers. Like you're like, okay, it's a little on the nose. Right. Once you're like, oh, her mom's actually a pixie. That becomes really funny. Yeah. The mutant aspect now is just that because of her fairy heritage, instead of being a lady mastermind, she makes people hallucinate via fairy dust. Like that's funny. Right. Also, it gives her this family backstory and that's the stuff about the x-men that's always the most fun mm-hmm. right is like the summer's gray mess kurt and mystique is like that's fun yeah kurt and rogue having this weird sibling relationship because she was raised mm-hmm. by mystique that's but he's mystique's opera. biological child who she didn't raise and who she rejected Graydon creed being their brother like all of that star wars i am your father type shit right. it's always really fun the soap opera stuff Giving Pixie her own soap opera bit, even if it has never come up again post-Pixie Strikes Back, tying in these two absurd characters. It's also a Madonna whore thing, right? The ladies' mastermind are these deeply hypersexual characters. Mm -hmm. And in Pixie Strikes Back, where Sarah Pacelli really does draw those girls like teenagers, they're kind of gawky. That's the other thing is it undid the Greg Landification of Pixie. 100%. I find the character much more palatable. I was going to say appetizing, but that's a weird thing to say about a character. (laughs) It's like, that's not, especially like a teenage girl. I'm like, appetizing is not the right word. Uh, But palatable is a synonym. It means the same thing, I guess. You're eating them either way. Okay. I find the character a lot more tolerable, let's say, and likable when she is presented as a teenager and not as a hypersexual teenager who's traced from the same model as the Scarlet Witch and Emma Frost, depending on which Greg Land cover you're looking at. Yeah. You know? That really did turn me around on the character. I enjoyed it very much. I will say 
the fact that they pulled out the demon Saturnine <laughs> is the fact that X Men fans have to know two different. No, or, I know, I mean, and three was, different Saturnines. Three, three different Saturnines because there's Saturnine, yeah. who's the evil Opaluna Saturnine, and then there's Opaluna Saturnine, and you also have to know about Courtney Ross, right? Right. So there's sort of that whole three thing, but then also there's another character called Saturnine. Do not worry about it. <laughs> This is Saturnine with an I instead of a Y, which is how the actual adjective is spelled. Saturnine is a demon who pops up in Pixie Strikes Back and who had only previously appeared in one issue of Ghost Rider in 1983. <laughs> it is an astounding pull. It is. It's a one-off Ghost Rider <laughs> villain from the 80s. But I love that, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, we're on the fucking Zaladane podcast. Like, <laughs> right, I love right, that right. shit. I love an obscure pull. I died when Women of Marvel had a cameo from Roulette and she had lines. Like, I love that, that shit. That Women of Marvel uh, short that has the so and many Feral story. cameos. Yeah, by Sophie Campbell. So good. Um, so many cameos of X-Men we haven't seen in forever. I was like, I know. this could only be written by an X-Men fan who loves the Z-listers. I mean, the fact that Sophie Campbell was like, can I write about Feral and Marrow? Like, that's funny. That's gorgeous. The funniest thing to me, I thought the woman that roulette was talking to at the bar was sienna blaze mm. at a glance which is already fucked up because the upstarts killed the hellions as like part of their game right like that was one of fitzroy's plays and sienna blaze was one of the upstarts also sorry if this is a real esoteric pull for people <laughs> who are listening and did not read these books in 1991 or two or whatever it turns out it's actually Andrea von Strucker, Ugh. who's, first of all, also one of the upstarts, because Fenris were in the upstarts. Right. It was Shinobi, Fenris, Fabian Cortez, Fitzroy, and Sienna Blaze. That They're really the having a comeback on Krakoa. <laughs> they numbers. really are. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. But so I was like, why are you talking to Sienna Blaze? Like, their game killed you. And then I realized it was she Fenris, and I was just like, Jenny? <laughs> Not only did this woman kill you, she's an incest Nazi and you need to walk away. Like, because Jenny's been dead. She doesn't know who this woman is. Right. Um, they're like just like two mean blondes talking at the bar. I'm like, Jenny, I know you're a mean girl, but like Andrea von Strucker is not. There's not mean the and way. then there's Strucker. I mean, Jenny's Greek. She's probably not white enough for the Struckers, to be perfectly honest. She's like a little Mediterranean for them, I bet. Because she's like Atlantic City Greek American. <laughs> Jennifer Stavros, someday, someday, we'll get a fun little episode on roulette. I hope, because I hope that she gets brought back in a way that matters, and then I yeah. can justify doing a whole episode. But anyway. I bet you could do the Hellions girlies all together, too. Well, that's what I would love to do. I would love to write, like, a very silly miniseries about Tarot and roulette and Cat's Eye. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really fun. They would be like, we can't be the Hellions because... Sinister's using that name now, so what are we going to call ourselves? Actually, I keep coming up with Fallen Angels Volume 3, like with different mm -hmm. lineups that could all just use that title. I'm like, repurpose it. It's a good title. It's a great title, yeah. You know. Anyway, I digress a lot. But the point <laughs> is, to get back to Pixie, so you were drawn to her because she was the POV character yeah. in those early stories you were reading. Yeah, her and Armor. Yeah, it's true. That was because Armor was in the Whedon run mm -hmm. at the same and that's time. What I, that was an early read for me. Yeah, that's part of why it's so hard to place the Whedon run in the timeline because there were so many delays that it's like it starts before the decimation but ends after the decimation yeah. but it doesn't reference the decimation so you're kind of like when did all of this mm -hmm. happen it's, it's complicated yeah these things happen it's like how Kanan showed up in Excalibur even though she's in Murder World because Hellions is a really decompressed book and so you're like guys it'll work out it's just that these four issues of Hellions take place in like two days yeah I'm so worried about that because it's not like it doesn't feel like huge major swings no it's just little things where it's like a character's in two places at once and mm -hmm. I'm like it, it, we can make this work it's right. fine with this when it was like it was just all happening yeah, those, while Whedon was telling the same on. story and a lot of the important characters were stuck 
doing things in the Whedon mm-hmm. story. And it was like, what is, when does this take place? Like, cause it's Emma doing this at the same time that this is, you know, anyway, it yeah. doesn't matter. We're far beyond this era now, thankfully. What kept you in with those characters? Because as you're pointing out, they fell off. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't, much like Jubilee, actually. Yeah. Jubilee is the star of the 90s in a lot of ways. Sort of the Jubilee and Gambit decade, yeah. right? And like Wolverine, obviously, because, of, you know, he's Wolverine. But much like Jubilee, once Gen X was canceled, mm-hmm. Pixie and Armor kind of fall off after Whedon and Fraction are off the books. Yeah, they they don't stay... At least with the central kind of X-Men team, they, you know, Pixie pops up in Generation Hope. Um, she's on Storm's X-Men team a little while in the mm-hmm. the Brian Wood kind of run on that, which takes place just after Schism. But I would say Schism is probably Pixie's last hurrah in terms of being like a main, main character. But I think it's it's that X-Men kind of in love with a C-lister kind of cameo queen energy. Like when you see Pixie, you're like, oh, it's Pixie. Like, awesome. Right. Yeah. She's easy to bring back. Right. And she she keeps popping up in different things because she has good relationships with the other characters. She's in that um, another Catherine Eminen written, which is surprisingly good. And nobody talks about it. But Jubilee and Wolverine, which is like a bonkers miniseries. But it's got great Phil Noto art. It's it, the writing is strong. Um, and Pixie is kind of a constant in that uh, there's a good scene of her and Armor and Rockslide all playing Jeopardy. And you see that Pixie and Rockslide are like stupid as fuck. And Armor yeah. is getting all the questions correct. But so Pixie does a lot of kind of pop-ups like that. Um, and it kind of just became this element of like whenever she's popping up, she's being fun. She's being snarky. She's being kind of very herself. And I think for a lot of those teen characters, they play into this like... The teen girls become this very cookie cutter teen girl. They're like slightly like funny, slightly ambitious. But like, I think a lot of male writers are writing these teen characters the same. But Pixie always kind of stood out because she just had this like this very jubilant energy. And she has this this very distinct kind of power set. So her cameos always felt a little bit more fun. I also think that because of the era she emerged in, she suffers more mm. than Kitty and Jubilee did in some ways. Like Kitty goes through it yeah. in the 80s. But I'm thinking of actually like the first story that you read, which is the one where Pixie gets hate crimes. Yeah. Gets really aggressively beaten almost to death by like anti-mutant mm-hmm. bigots. And personally... I don't know. It's like, I think part of why it didn't stick for me at the time when I read it was because it's Greg Landart and it's hard for me to connect with it emotionally. They were alternating with Terry Dodson at the time. I'm like, why couldn't Dodson have just done that great arc? But you know, I'm not even sure that Dodson would have been the right artist for that because Dodson stuff is so glossy. And they clearly wanted a very specific energy to that. Yeah, I just I just think that for that story, like if Sarah Pacelli had drawn that, Mm -hmm. it would be one of the great shocking scenes in X-Men. I mean, I think of there's that bit where they've, you know, she's been saved and what and Wolverine who's like narrating. He's just like the thing that got me was looking at her wings. Yeah. These like beautiful rainbow Mm -hmm. wings that have just been torn to pieces and are broken and fucked up. Yeah. And he's like, I all I could think in that moment is I wanted to get the person who did that to her. Yeah. And that's a little friggy. Right. Mm -hmm. But the character then recovers and gets to be around. So it doesn't feel but it has 
it's really visceral. You feel this is a girl who just got gay bashed or like racially attacked. It brings back kind of the ever-present threat that Kitty felt because she was Jewish and because the Holocaust was like a recent thing and her family had gone through it. And so she would bring that up. Mm-hmm. Pixie doesn't have the same thing if anything she has the class thing like cannonball does and husk like she's the british version of that kind of but outside of that which i think they should lean into Mm -hmm. by the way because that's rare in comics weirdly i guess because the the imagined reader is middle class so most characters tend to be from like the suburbs or whatever Mm mm-hmm But outside of that, like, she doesn't have that exact, like, metaphoric thing, but it feels like that. It feels like it's a moment when the real world pushes through the metaphor and you're like, oh, like, I've seen. It it feels, honestly, like what Rosenberg was trying to do with that Rain storyline that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. The one that was, like, explicitly, like, a trans panic scene. Right. Was not handled well, but, you know, I think had good intentions, right? But it's like, that's not always what matters. Yeah, the intention was to do something that could be more powerful because of those illusions, but it it went too far. Way too far. It it went too far and ended up trivializing in a way that... Exactly. Especially for the trans community who have one canonic mutant. Literally one who has not been seen since her one story in 20 years. Yeah. By the way, if you are someone who's listened to this podcast and has followed the saga of Jesse Drake a little bit through the Anacenti episode and other things, Danny Kinney and Valentine Smith are doing a Jesse Drake zine that's going to benefit trans activism. And I think that it is well worth checking that out. I've read the script. It's really good. Oh, have you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm really excited for that. I'm definitely ordering it. I got a cute Jesse Drake print also from Danny, who's very talented and who will pop up on this podcast sometime in the next few months. So look forward to that. Just a shout out to that project because I think it's a cool project and I think that it's for a good cause. But anyway, this pixie scene, I think, works in part because she's allowed to really fight. Right. She doesn't die. She's not brutally killed. She's hurt, but given the opportunity to come back. And it actually, it gives her her very Kitty Pride, her very uh, kind of POV character. One of, I think people call them Logan's Angels, which I love. She has to have that moment where it's like, do you want this? Do you not want this? Right. You could walk away now if this is too much for exactly. you. And she chooses, no, I am a mutant. I'm proud to be a mutant. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And I'm proud to be an X-Man. That's a, the huge thrust yes. of that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of kicks off that era specifically because, and, and it's why people associate P- uh, Pixie, obviously, so closely with that era. Cause... Well, because there aren't many X-Men left. I mean, there's only mm-hmm. 200 mutants, period. And she... Still, like, my big issue with the decimation was it felt like it made the mutant thing unimportant. Right. Because it's no longer a minority group. Mm -hmm. It's, I called it a lecture hall once. Like, even if you look at a minority like, for example, trans people, that is Mm -hmm. a small percentage of the population, there's a lot more than 200. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, if you want to make the metaphor resonate with anything, like, with Judaism, which is also a very small proportion of the entire world, Mm -hmm. but, like... It's not millions, 200, yeah. not 200, right? So Pixie, though, and this is something that going back, I found endearing and that endeared me to the character. No matter how extinct mutants become, no matter how unimportant mutants become in the grand scheme of the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. Pixie thinks they're important and thinks the X-Men are important. Right. 
there's something heartening about that. Like she's the biggest Dazzler fan in the world. Mm -hmm. She is a mutant culture person. And once we know that she is this magical being also, she could have just elected to pass as a magical creature Mm -hmm. and never put herself out there as a mutant. So it's also a choice she's made to downplay, I mean, this is retroactive, obviously, right. because it's a retcon, but she's chosen to downplay her mother, who she has a fraught relationship with, mm-hmm. and embrace the mutant genes that she presumes come from her father, which, of course, they do, but she doesn't know that her father was mastermind. And there's a good moment in that free comic book day story that kind of propels her into the X-Men, and it's very much Brubaker kind of plucking her and, and being like, she's going to be my next kind of POV character for them, but it shows that her her small village in Wales, like, they don't really care that she's a mutant. There's one moment where she's flying through the street with her wings. Mm-hmm. The two, like, town gossips are like, is, is that Barry Gwynn's girl, like, flying by? And then the other one just says, well, she went to America, didn't she? Like... That I love. And that story is a Mike Carey story, and Mike Carey is British. Mm-hmm. And this is also why I'm glad Cy Spurrier is writing the character right. now. Because I think that there is like a British youth culture thing that is different from American youth culture, first of all. It's similar in certain ways, but different in other ways. And then I also, first of all, that story brings back as the bad guys, the Ungarai Mm -hmm. demons from Claremont's first story in the 70s, which like they've popped up since, but it's like, here's Kirok of the Ungarai. (laughs) I'm like, this is hilarious. I love when Carrie pulls shit out like that. But the other thing is, It has been a consistent thing in Marvel UK stories since the beginning of Captain Britain that there aren't that many superhumans in the UK Mm -hmm. comparatively compared to America. There are fewer mutants. There are fewer powered superheroes. When Captain Britain first emerges, Brian, Inspector Thomas is furious because it's like, what is this American bullshit? Because Inspector Thomas's wife died in the crossfire when they were visiting the States in like a superhero battle. So it's like this whole thing where like mm-hmm. Captain Britain is like, this is America influencing us <laughs> again. Like, we don't do that over here. We don't do that here. Like, you know, and it becomes a whole thing. And this is because the Marvel Universe is all set in New York. Mm-hmm. But it becomes kind of a funny thing where it's like, up oh, the colonies and their superheroes again. When Joe Casey was writing the X-Men, he had Chamber date Sugarcane, this British pop star who was a human. Yeah. And it was just like Daily Mail fodder. They were just like, oh, Sugarcane's dating a mutant. Isn't that wild? Very American of her. It was like Princess Diana going to Hollywood with Elton John. Like, that's the vibe. Right. You know, so we're here in this coal town in Wales. I mean, what's interesting is they'd probably be a lot more concerned if they knew she was a fairy. Right. It, that would mean something to them. <laughs> Because, like, in Marvel UK, it's like, oh, the magic shit is, like, Morgan Le Fay. Mm-hmm. Merlin is always causing problems. Yeah, they they probably see fairies as something that has actually fucked with them in the past. Well, yeah, like, in Captain Britain MI13 by Paul Cornell, which I love, and in the Wisdom series that he did before that, yeah, when the fairies show up and, like, Avalon's doors are open, that's when the UK is like, fucking A. Mm-hmm. So, for Pixie, it actually makes a lot of sense that she'd be like, no, um, I'm a mutant like my father. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a fairy. She's like, no, no, don't the wings. It. It's it's just me being immune. Like, don't worry, guys. And they're like, oh, okay. We thought maybe you. I were. just look like a fairy. Yeah, don't stress. Which actually is very similar to Megan. Right. In that Megan was a mutant, and now we know that she's also part fairy. But the fear that surrounded Megan was because her parents thought that she was a changeling, that mm-hmm. she was like a fairy child, because that's just like 
in the UK, that's more likely than a mutant <laughs> right. child is the sense, right? Anyway, I like that she brings all that back around. And I don't know, I'm excited to see more of her now that she's reemerging. I think that the pairing of her and Kurt is really smart. Mm-hmm. I would love to see her... Uh, to be clear, I mean the pairing of them as characters. Oh, yeah. I don't I, mean that we should I don't think them. Sai is going to go in that direction. I don't think Sai um, would go there, I really no. hope not. <laughs> but I do think, I do think it would be fun to go there with Kurt and Reagan now that Pixie I is his be really, sidekick I again. hope that her sisters show up. Because there is this moment in Pixie Strikes Back where her mom very deliberately talks about the three of them working together. Yes. Almost as like a coven, right? right it has a that coven vibe. Or a mutant machine or something. Yeah, well and we know that threes are an important mm-hmm. number in Marvel Magic. Exactly, yeah. You look at like Jennifer Kale and Satana and Topaz in their miniseries Witches that was terrible but a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so someday it would be fun to revisit them. Or like in Fall of the Mutants, Forge needs nine souls to do his enchantment, which is like three times mm-hmm. three. And then Apocalypse's whole mutant magic deal, he's like, yeah, a magic circle is less efficient than the X. And this is so we're dealing with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it would be fun to see Pixie and her sisters, whose powers do all feed each other, yeah. do some kind of mutant magic-y, coven-y thing. Right. I would really enjoy that. Because, yeah, she's like, you're a sister act. I mean, like, exactly. Pixie says, like, mm, very Eden Blyton, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly. she's excited about it. I just tried to roll the R like a Welshman, but I don't know if I got it. That accent's rough. That's rough. Apparently, my Megan sounds Australian, so I just can't win <laughs> on this podcast. I was going for I'm EastEnders. Not, I'm not going to attempt it. You're honestly, you're braver than me. <laughs> well, it's fun. I just, have, I, just, I just have fun with it. It's funny. We're looking back at these series now, and I think of Pixie still as a new character, but she's actually been around for 20 years, mm-hmm. right? Like, at this point, there is a whole generation that grew up with these Academy X characters, and I think it's nice to see them, where it makes sense, emerging in, into prominent roles. Like, Prodigy yeah. is great on X-Factor, 100%. for example. That is a great use of that character and I was not really familiar with that character because he got decimated mm-hmm. and then he was in Young Avengers yeah he was fun in that but he didn't have his powers right mm-hmm. so it's a different vibe to be like oh here he is and he's powered and he's an adult like there he's like in his 20s you know like that yeah that's always when I like that was the other thing is they felt very young to me and when I was reading the classic New Mutants the characters were older than me mm-hmm which is the thing that's like, like, it's like they were 15 and 16, but I was 11. So it didn't feel, <laughs> you know, like they felt like grown ups. Yeah, yeah. So I think when I was 17, I it think it like, probably uh, benefits these characters to like have that kind of 2000s New Mutants energy where they were like early 20s as opposed yeah. to that. Because there have been so many generations. There can only be so much kind of slamming them all together. Um, and these characters have gone through so much kind of story and trauma. And I think for for readers who might have jumped off during that period, they might not realize that like those new X-Men um, characters were in everything. Every time that there was a big story, it was like, oh, Mercury's just over there. Or like, Gentle's Yeah, here's Mercury there. and Dust and these characters were Hellion. Just everywhere. And these characters were around. And then to just kind of disappear for so long. That's why I think the Academy X stands are so feral. <laughs> right. Well, and that makes sense. You know, much like I am gagging at like the return of Lord of Chantal on a <laughs> cover or like screaming because Roulette popped up to be mean to Feral mm-hmm. in a anthology title for a minute. Right. 
I'm excited for the fans of these characters that they are coming back and I'm learning to appreciate them, which I like. I'm glad to, it's always nice when you're like, you know, I hadn't really thought about this person, but that's part of the fun of this podcast is when I talk to somebody who's really enthusiastic about a character that I'm ambivalent about. Mm -hmm. And then I get to like really get the vibe and get the sense. So actually, I think that's a great moment for us to pause for a sec for the Cerebro character file on Megan Gwynn, better known as Pixie. This character has about 20 years of history, but was only really prominent in that utopia era, really. So this will probably be pretty breezy. But, you know, when you look at her appearance list, it's like she has... She's the cameo queen. Yeah. And because she's the cameo queen, she's like appeared almost 24 Zaladanes. But like most of that is stuff you don't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. So it won't come up. Anyway, we're going to do that. And then we will come back for more with Josh Cornillon on Pixie. We're going to talk about our favorite storylines, what we'd like to see for the character in Way of X and address your questions. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Megan Gwynn, better known as Pixie, is a young mutant best known for her time as a reader identification character during the Decimation Era. Created by husband and wife writing team Christina Weir and Nunzio de Philippus and artist Michael Ryan, she's a Welsh mutant with pink hair and butterfly-like wings, which can emit a hallucinogenic powder she calls her pixie dust. Originally a background character supporting Weir and de Philippus's new team of new mutants, over time she would become more prominent than any of those characters. In Weir and DeFilippus's new X-Men, Academy X, Pixie is a member of the Paragons, one of the squads of students at Xavier's rivaling the new New Mutants squad mentored by Mirage and Karma. She seems to be on the younger end of the student body, and as she hasn't mastered her ability to fly yet, she wears a bike helmet to protect her head. She's noted for her cheery attitude. The Paragon's mentor is Rain Sinclair, codenamed Wolfsbane, who winds up fired from her teaching job for having a sexual relationship with student Josh Foley, codenamed Elixir. The Paragons quickly gain a new mentor in Amara Aquila, codenamed Magma. After Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, reduces the mutant population to about 200 people worldwide in the event called the Decimation, Pixie is one of only a handful of students at Xavier's to keep her powers. In the 2006 arc Childhood's End, under new writers Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, the Institute is threatened by the human supremacists called the Purifiers. Feeling unable to protect the depowered student body, Headmistress Emma Frost expels the decimated students, planning to send them back to their families. She locks the still-mutant students into the danger room for a battle royale, with the winners earning a place on the new X-Men, which will become the one and only student combat squad. Pixie tries her best, but is defeated. That night, a school bus transporting 15 of the decimated students is blown up right outside the school by the Purifiers. All are killed, including Pixie's former Paragon squadmates, DJ and Network. Pixie remains in the background for a few arcs as the Purifiers launch all-out war against Xavier's and leave more students dead. She first takes on a major role the following year in the 2007 story Quest for Magic. Precognitive student Ruth Aldean, codenamed Blindfold, tells the gathered students the story of Ilyana Rasputina's tragic life, first as the new mutant Magic and then as the Dark Child. Blindfold offers Pixie condolences, leaving her confused. Before Pixie can interrogate the matter further, the students are sucked into the hell dimension called Limbo. Some are captured, while others, including Pixie, land further away. Pixie uses her powers to fight off demons and help keep her friends safe, but the group is overwhelmed. They're rescued by Ilyana the Dark Child, who has been resurrected by her former master, the Demon Lord Belasco. Ilyana informs the kids that their friends will die unless she's able to stop Belasco. He's resurrected only her body and mind, not her soul, so she's unable to work the necessary magic. 
isolating Pixie from her friends and manipulating her, the Dark Child convinces Pixie to offer up her own soul to save the prisoners. Pixie's friend Victor Borkowski, codenamed Anol, manages to stop the ritual midway, but one-fifth of Pixie's soul has already been torn out and fashioned into an eldritch bloodstone. Pixie's pink hair turns mostly black, and she gains the ability to summon a soul dagger, a miniature soul sword, from the hole in her soul now filled with black magic. The Dark Child also teaches her a teleportation spell, which she takes to quickly. After defeating Belasco, Ilyana tries to take the rest of Pixie's soul, but is stopped by the X-Men, including her older brother Colossus. Filled with shame, she disappears, expelling the others from Limbo. In the wake of this adventure, Pixie and Anol are told they've earned places on the new X-Men squad. Examinations by Doctor Strange and Amanda Sefton determine Pixie will be alright, and Strange is impressed by her magical potential. He offers to teach her more magic when she comes of age. In the franchise-wide event Messiah Complex, the new X-Men are kept out of the fray during the conflict over Baby Hope, the first mutant child born since the decimation. Learning the purifiers are involved, the kids get angry they've been excluded, and decide to seek revenge for their murdered friends. Pixie teleports them all to Purifier Headquarters, where Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers make quick work of them. The X-Men's ally Richter, who's been undercover infiltrating the purifiers, helps Pixie stop panicking so she can teleport everyone back to safety. Her concentration is insufficient, and Pixie accidentally drops them all up and down the East Coast. By the time they've all been recovered on the Blackbird and get back to the mansion, they're attacked by Predator X. Don't worry about it. Pixie teleports the monster, and everyone else, to Muir Island so X-23 can kill it. They land in the middle of a fight between the X-Men and the Marauders, wherein Pixie uses her soul dagger to exercise the psychic entity Malice from the body of Karima Shapandar. With Professor Xavier apparently slain in the crossfire, Cyclops disbands the X-Men and sends all the Institute's students home to their families. Pixie returns later that year in the 2008 Free Comic Book Day X-Men issue, later republished as X-Men Pixies and Demons. In this story, by Mike Carey with art by Greg Land, we learn more about Pixie's origins. As noted in her yearbook entry, she's originally from Wales and has returned there to live with her grandparents, who raised her after her father was killed in a coal mining accident. Now in her hometown of Abergilid, 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 I have no idea, people are disappearing. Pixie discovers demons are to blame, and only she can see them. She uses her soul dagger to kill one, tracking the rest to a nest in the mines, and summons the X-Men for help. While the X-Men battle their old enemies, the Ungarai demons, Pixie uses the darkness in her broken soul to track down and defeat their leader, Kirok, outwitting him into bringing the cavern down on himself. Pixie teleports the X-Men to safety, and is invited by Cyclops to come to their new school in San Francisco. In the following arc, from Uncanny X-Men 500 to 503, written by Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction, Pixie attends a Dasser concert and is assaulted on the street by a group of men in Hellfire Club masks. She fights them off and gets back to the X-Men, but then collapses from blood loss and trauma. Dazzler visits her in the medbay to cheer her up, and offers her a gig as a backup dancer. Pixie respectfully declines, and contemplates leaving San Francisco. She then learns the X-Men have located the Hellfire cultists and their ringleader, Manuel de la Rocha, codenamed Empath. Enhanced in power by the sorcery of the Red Queen, don't worry about it, Empath defeats the X-Men, but is taken out by Pixie's soul dagger. Feeling at peace now, Pixie changes her mind and does perform with Dazzler at her next concert. As a powerful teleporter, Pixie becomes essential to X-Men missions. Kurt Wagner, codenamed Nightcrawler, begins training her in the use of this ability, and the two develop a close student-teacher bond. In the 2009 event X Infernus by C.B. Sobolski, Nightcrawler inquires about Pixie's violent attitude when she wields her soul dagger. In a sudden rage, she plunges the dagger into his chest. When she recovers her senses and removes it, the soul sword comes with it. Kurt has been entrusted with it safekeeping by Amanda Sefton, who hid it inside his body with a spell. 
Sensing her sword's return, the Dark Child arrives, and Pixie spots the bloodstone containing her own soul piece in Ileana's amulet necklace. Wielding the soul sword herself, Pixie attempts to fight off Ileana, but is soundly defeated. Kurt helps Pixie gather a team to enter Limbo, where they come into conflict with Belasco's daughter, Witchfire. Don't worry about it. Witchfire torments Pixie with visions of the monster she might become if her soul continues to degrade, and then rips out another fifth of Pixie's soul to make another bloodstone. Ilyana arrives and convinces Pixie to team up with her, and the two defeat Witchfire, but Pixie isn't exactly happy about it. She crosses paths with Empath again after he helps the Sisterhood of Mutants attack the X-Men. Pixie uses her soul dagger to disrupt his powers and free her friends from his influence. She then participates as a member of the X-Men in the franchise-wide event Utopia, mostly in a background role except for an exciting team-up against Dokken, the Dark Wolverine, don't worry about it right now, with her friends X-23 and Armor. In the 2010 miniseries Pixie Strikes Back by Catherine Eminen and Sarah Pacelli, Pixie gets an invite to a private dancer concert. She brings her friends along, but the nightclub turns out to be a staging ground for demons. The demons force the girls to ingest Pixie's pixie dust, leaving them all in a prolonged hallucination where they're students at a normal high school, and Pixie is the Queen Bee. The demon Saturnine, not the same person as Omniversal Magistrix Opaluna Saturnine, truly, don't worry about it, has set a trap to lure out Pixie's absentee mother. Mrs. Gwyn, as she's called, is actually a powerful fairy of Otherworld, and the demon covets her power. Pixie's shocked to learn that her sweet father who died in the mine wasn't her biological parent, and that she's actually the daughter of the long-deceased X-Men villain Jason Wingard, aka Mastermind. Teaming up with her mother and her two half-sisters, the lady's mastermind, babe, lady's fucking mastermind, Pixie defeats the demons. She teleports her villainous sisters to safety as a thank you. During the 2010 franchise-wide event Second Coming, Pixie is one of the stars of the miniseries X-Men Hellbound by Chris Yost. Nightcrawler is murdered, alongside apparently all the other teleporters besides Ilyana, who's banished to Limbo. Cyclops tasks Pixie with recovering magic from Limbo, but she has no desire to risk her own life to save the woman who victimized her. She's eventually convinced to do it by her friend Anol, and helps the rescue team enter Limbo. There she's approached by the demon Nastir, a rival of Ilyana's, who tries to manipulate Pixie into killing her. Magic begins taunting Pixie to do it rather than asking for mercy, and Pixie lets Nastir believe she's been corrupted, then stabs him with her soul dagger. The group's ultimately rescued by Ilyana, who promises Pixie she will help restore her soul, but Pixie isn't impressed. She returns in Zeb Wells' new run on New Mutants, which reunites most of the original team from the 80s. Pixie goes on holiday, but is kidnapped by the soldiers of Project Purgatory, who spent subjective decades in Limbo and now seek bloodstones. Ilyana manages to rescue Pixie, and after the Elder Gods of Limbo are vanquished, don't worry about it right now, but it rules, she finally returns the two bloodstones to Pixie. With the pieces of her soul in her possession, even externalized, Pixie no longer needs to fear infernal corruption. In the 2011 event Age of X by Mike Carey, a reality warp turns Pixie into the more aggressive Nightmare, a version of herself with demonic wings. After the warp ends, Pixie reels from the memories of her darker alternate life in the false timeline. She asks to have them removed, but then admits to Emma Frost that part of her likes it. Emma decides to leave a few of Nightmare's adventures in Pixie's head, and Pixie begins going on X-Men missions again, revealing she's been studying magic in her spare time. At one point, she ends up on an adventure in another dimension with Cyclops' ex-girlfriend, Lee Forrester. Don't worry about it. In the 2011 event, Schism, Pixie helps Hope Summers and her teammates, the Five Lights. Pixie ends up joining their book, Generation Hope by Kieran Gillen, where she embarks on a flirtation with the light called Velocidad. After they kiss, they're discovered by Hope, who it turns out was sort of dating Velocidad. Pixie is furious and wants to leave Utopia to join Wolverine's new Jean Grey school, but Hope convinces her to stay with the team as they attempt to rescue newly manifesting mutants. New writer James Asmus keeps Pixie on the team, 
where she briefly rekindles her romance with Velocidad. When their teammate Zero betrays them, controlling the X-Men using his powers, Pixie fights a mind-controlled Magneto and teleports him away. Tidy. After a few more adventures, Pixie is drafted into Storm's team of X-Men under writer Brian Wood. The group tangles with clones of a mutant precursor race called Proto-Mutants. Do not worry about it. And Pixie is befriended by the last Proto-Mutant, a very hot guy called Gabriel Shepard. When he attacks the X-Men, Pixie's able to talk him down. In the company-wide event Avengers vs. X-Men, Pixie is one of the students imprisoned at Avengers Academy. After the climax of the event leads to the end of Utopia, Pixie enrolls at the Jean Grey School. In 2014, in the final issue of Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, she graduates and becomes a full X-Man, whatever that means exactly. In the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by Jonathan Hickman, Pixie becomes a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. She makes guest appearances in various other Marvel books about teenage heroes, including Champions, Runaways, and Children of the Atom, before becoming a co-lead of the new 2021 title Way of X by Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn. Not quite fitting in on Krakoa, where death is cheap and her friends are beginning to view resurrection as a thrill, Pixie seeks out her old mentor Kurt Wagner for guidance as the mysterious patchwork man lurks in the shadows behind her. X-Men, X-Men! And we're back! Thank you for bearing with us and keeping it tidy, as Pixie would say. Josh, what are some of your other favorite Pixie stories? Um, It's tough because she doesn't have many, where she's kind of a, a focus. <laughs> where she's the star, yeah. <laughs> I guess, to just like answer the question myself, yeah. okay, because I was just revisiting the Zabwell's New Mutants, I really do love the relationship between her and Ilyana. I think that mm -hmm. it is an important grounding relationship to bring Ilyana back mm -hmm. into the fold. I find the Hellbound miniseries during Second Coming kind of whatever. Yeah. But there's a great scene where Cyclops is like, hey, we need you to go to Limbo and rescue Ilyana. And she's just like, no. Well, I love that that kind of keeps happening, too. It's just like in <laughs> X and Furnace and in Hellbound, they keep wanting her to go back to Limbo to get Ilyana. And in Brian Wood's uh, X-Men, it pops up for a quick second. Yeah. And every time she's like, no, like... I don't want to do that. do that. She's again? evil and she tortured me and took part of my soul. She's like, do you guys forget I am missing two fifths of my soul? Because of, oh, who? Her. <laughs> That's who, actually. And she's always looking at Colossus and she's like, I don't give a fuck that she's your sister. Like, I hate her. And he's like, And then I'm Colossus like you. trashes Pixie's room. He's like, I, I, I can only do this with you. And she's like, tough shit. Like, get a yeah. better sister. I don't know what to tell it's you. It's definitely like Colossus this is emotionally abusive era which is stretching until forever <laughs> yeah well you know it started in the mid 90s i would say early 90s truly God, he's been i mean he's been a pretty like X -Men, rough character for a while x-men like z-list character brain worms where it takes like two issues of a character for me to be like i love her i would love to do a prestige mini about her colossus's girlfriend that's been popping up in the oh, era, kayla, kayla who looks about 12 years old i literally i look at her and i'm like she deserves better i would like to know everything about her and we could never see colossus again what she's blue and aquakinetic that's that's a story that's a story and like uh, hopefully she's an adult i mean i assume she's 18 but she seems too young for him in a way that here's the thing i am willing to give colossus the benefit of the doubt in the 80s with the kitty thing because kitty pursues him so much because in the 80s that was a less weird age gap and because he does break up with her rather than take it sexual however now that he's like 
shacking up with this girl who looks about 18 at the oldest uh, it it casts something of a it's like oh you just never grew out of dating teenage girls did you right. like remember when you dated domino that was nice or like that girls was an that egalitarian thing it's like... well he loves that he loves he's such a he's such a glasses we can keep him out on the farm <laughs> make bring kayla into the main x-men team i'm good with retiring colossus he's nice to look at i but i don't really need to revisit him. right just keep him as as juicy juicy background <laughs> Yeah, bring him in for the swimsuit issues. I don't really need to dig deep into Colossus 100%. anymore, unfortunately, because he's a very interesting character in the 70s and 80s. He's just never quite bounced back. Anyway, he's horrible to Pixie. Horrible. To be fair, I guess, Cyclops is like, well, uh, we can't just, I mean, this in Infernus anyway, Cyclops was like, we can't just like put all our resources into finding your demon sister mm-hmm. who's evil. <laughs> like, he's like... He said, let's have some perspective on this. <laughs> yeah, but like, and Colossus is like, what if you could save Gene? Or like, do you not care? Like, what? it's just like, you know, this whole thing. But what I really like is that scene in Hellbound where Pixie is again like, I don't actually want to help this girl because she's horrible and hurt me personally. Mm-hmm. And Anol comes up to like comfort her. She's like, the X Men don't get it. They would kill us all to save that girl. Mm-hmm. Any of the new students. And the thing is, she's not wrong. And this is where I I kind of get where the Academy X stands being feral, as you put it. (laughs) Because it is true that if you are a character who was introduced after 1995, you are in a precarious position in the Mm X-Men. You are disposable. If an event needs someone to die, you're it, baby. Yeah. So it's a very meta moment of her being like, do we really want to go to Limbo? Because she'll make it out. She's a Claremont character. (laughs) Right. You know, like, you know, you got your arm cut off. I lost part of my soul. Yeah. This has consequences for us. She's like, do you not see the second coming going on? Like, if anyone's going to die, it's going to be us. Yeah. And then, of course, Nightcrawler is the one who dies in second coming, which was pretty shocking at the time. It felt like very shock value-y to me. I was, like, annoyed about it. I mean, they have everyone gathering around his body with an arm just shoved through it. It's, like, so, I know, it's not my favorite. But even he comes back eventually, like pre Krakoa, mm-hmm. because that is a character you can't yeah, you won't keep, keep him down. Then. He's too iconic, right? I actually think that's another reason why she gets downplayed, because they kill off Kurt, and he was like her mentor, right? Because mm. Wolverine's moved on by that point to like other. He's like with EDA at that point, I think, mm-hmm. right? So I guess that happens later. That's like, that's schism stuff. Yeah. But, you know, she doesn't have a ton to do once Kurt's gone, once she and Ilyana have resolved a lot of their problems. I really do like the sequence in the Zeb Wells New Mutants where Project Purgatory, the soldiers, they capture Pixie because they can't get their hands on Ilyana Mm -hmm. and they want to access limbo and use the bloodstones and everything and well you know pixie's got a bloodstone right yeah i think that that story is good i think that iliana even though she's still soulless Mm -hmm. recognizes herself in pixie or at least recognizes the if you go back to inferno iliana externalizing child iliana as a separate being from herself and deciding she wanted to save the child Mm -hmm. pixie is similarly someone who isn't quite so far gone yeah as iliana was or now is and she she sees the potential to 
to save her. And it does seem like she wants to... And she does. She wants to minimize... I mean, at first... The harm she's done. Right. In Quest for Magic, she, like, straight up wants to take all of Pixie's soul, and that's gorgeous. Yeah, well, she's pure evil there. I think that by the the Zebwell's New Mutants, she's more... I mean, she's a sociopath because she doesn't have a soul, Mm -hmm. but she's trying to be part of society. She's decided to try and be with these people again. And I think that it's actually her relationship with Sean Mm -hmm. that sort of broadens that because she sees how much Sean cares for innocence and tries to rescue people and and all of that. And they have that moment where that incredible moment where Sean kills one of Legion's altars Mm -hmm. with the soul sword. And Ilyana is like, Oh, I did that. Right. When Emma Frost asks about it because she doesn't, she doesn't want Sean to get in trouble. Right. And internalize that. Yeah, it extends through to, she's like, okay, here are your bloodstones, here's your dagger. Right. You have all the pieces of your soul now. Yeah. They're in these little baubles, so, like, keep an eye on them. (laughs) But you have them, and so you're going to be okay. Like, the metaphysics of it are complicated. Right. But it seems like, you know, Pixie, and you'll note, after that, Pixie's hair turns back to being fully pink, or I guess it already kind of had, but, like, the demonic stuff with Pixie is less emphasized after that story. And I think throughout that story, she's clearly trying to, I mean, while she's, like, while magic is trying to, like, risk all of humanity to kind of settle this grudge, Yeah. It does feel like the entire time she's trying to avoid Pixie being pulled further into it or kind of minimizing the harm, which is an interesting kind of element of that entire story because it with the new mutants, she's really risking them being in a ton of harm. They they do get kind of fucked up in that that story. But with Pixie, she's a little bit like, let's keep this one out of it because I've done a lot. Yeah. It speaks to something about the metaphysics and about how souls operate and how Ilyana's story operated in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Is even without any of her soul, Ilyana still knows what's right and what's wrong mm-hmm. and can appreciate that even if she doesn't feel moral compunction, I did something wrong here. Yeah, And I think also specifically the act of saving this girl from becoming... Like the Zebwell's run ends on that scene where Ilyana reunites with Pyotr it's right after Sean has realized mm-hmm. that Ilyana planned the whole thing. And Ilyana's basically like, yeah, I dare you to say it. I dare you to tell anybody. That, that look that they share as she's like hugging Pyotr. Pyotr's like my snowflake. And she says, yes, you're a little snowflake. I'm here and embraces him. And then her face goes completely dead over his shoulder to Sean. Like, mm-hmm. do you want him ruin his happiness? Right. I know I'm evil. You know I'm evil. Do we need to ruin everybody else's day? (laughs) She knows, even if she doesn't have moral feelings at that moment, she knows that Pixie is someone else's snowflake somewhere. Yeah. Like, this is a little girl who matters to people. And she's not doing full, like, post-limbo aftercare. Right. She's not, like, yeah, nurturing her. She's writing her her wrong. (laughs) She's kind of clearing her ledger. She's like, you got the, the... soul gems back you've got the dagger like have at that's why i don't like when we have these like maternal magic moments because that doesn't feel right to me Mm -hmm. but magic wanting to protect children and magic realizing that what she has done is wrong and wanting to fix it those are magic beats that feel very consistent to me and Mm -hmm. so pixie is the through line there that works in part because you know that's a story that you would have told with rain right Mm -hmm. back in the day 
Rain, by the time Ilyana comes back, is such a different character that she's not even in the Zebwell's New Mutants. Yeah. And is conspicuous in her absence, but it would be so bizarre to throw Rain into that. Mm-hmm cast where all those other characters have not changed significantly right since the 80s and and are kind of a a natural elevated version of themselves of themselves like you're yeah like they've they've developed as people but they're they're still very recognizably the selves that they were in their Mm -hmm. original stories whereas rain is like on the kyost x-force at that point yeah it's like a very different she she's on a different path (laughs) yeah yeah you know what I like, and this is something that like fans are always obsessed with, the, the Pixie fans from what I've seen, is the Age of X twist yeah, on Pixie, where she's Nightmare. Because she pops up a couple times. This happened, I guess, fairly recently in X-Men Decimated, um, that lead up to Age of X-Men. Yeah, Disassembled. Uh, yeah. Disassembled, that's what it was. You know, every time we see kind of an alternate universe of her, she is this like, spooky spooky kind of bat wings yeah, demonic kind of looking creature yeah um she doesn't really even do that much in age of x but no. it's such a strong visual mm-hmm. because first of all she's older yeah she's dressed very sexually provocatively mm-hmm. but it's not in a gross greg land way it's in a like i mean it's very iliana kind of on some level right yeah yeah and she has these big spooky bat wings and you're like oh this is cool but it is again like the visual sort of coming first because she's not super prominent in the story that said she is one of the few characters like frenzy who decides to keep the memories of the age of x Mm -hmm. and then like there's sort of a brief moment where nightmare almost feels like it's an alternate personality like lurking yeah i think it kind of becomes this they drop that pretty fast but uh you know in a lot of her stories especially in the ones where her soul is kind of notably missing she references like there's a darkness in me there's yeah like it's her dark child form basically yeah um and i think it's interesting because the like you said the visuals are so strong and that's always kind of pixies stand out and i think it's kind of notable in fans who love her and in fans who kind of consider her to be part of what made that that era not work so well is that she's super femme coded like she's pink Mm. she's got these beautiful wings and that was something that always made me kind of love her because more than a a kitty pride who was a little bit like i can hang with the boys or a jubilee who had no she's like a rainbow bright or like exactly she's not she-ra princess guinevere and the jewel riders percent if she came with a little a zip pull and you spin her yeah. and she flies into a fireplace i sky would sky dancers she is a sky dancer She's literally, literally a sky yeah dancer. um for the kids google it the sky dancers were incredible toys that were very very dangerous so i don't <laughs> think they make them anymore they would but... whip you in the face yeah um but she's always she's just such a kind of a feminine character in terms of her powers are sparkly her wings Mm -hmm. are butterfly or dragonfly wings that's kind of an inconsistency but she's got this big pink hair so when she kind of switches to nightmare she still has that kind of that pinky element but it takes away some of those like explicitly feminine kind of pieces of her i think that's interesting. Yeah, she it's like a kind of a tomboy style. I mean, it's like it's very sexual, but she's in like boy shorts. Mm-hmm. And she's also like tough and ha- like Exa- she is yeah. hanging with the boys. She's she's less of like rainbow sparkles and she's, she's more She's not a girly girl she's anymore. She's sexy gargoyle. Yeah, yeah. It's it is very gargoyles like the 90s cartoon. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's interesting. I think that her appearance in when they did the Age of Apocalypse version of her in um in disassembled. in disassembled that yeah. was less successful it's kind of a an ugly all i mean all of those looks were a little ugly but i think that nightmare is probably a stronger kind of alternate au design for her Hmm. 
Yeah, I wouldn't want them to go there with her in 616 permanently mm-hmm. in any way. Like, that would be, to me, a very, like, Psylocke to Ninja Psylocke right. moment, you know? Speaking of butterflies, actually, <laughs> it's honestly wild looking back now at any story that Betsy is in, including Pixie Strikes Back, mm-hmm. when she's in Kanon's body. It always, I mean, like, I never liked it, but also, like, now that we know Kanon as a person, yeah. it's so... It's hard not to feel icky the whole time. Twisted, yeah. You're just like, oh, I hate this. Yeah. But the extreme Psylocke being her own character now has worked. Mm-hmm. And Nightmare, similarly, that design would be great for another character. It would be fun to do like a like a Dark Willow kind of energy. Yeah, like, and you could do like a sexy gargoyle girl. Uh-huh. And you could and make Pixie it fun. Being like, like whomst the fuck is this like yeah who's this girl why are we dealing with her she's like i'm you but like sexy yeah i think that could be fun but i i i think that particularly in the way that she's being used right now i i liked like emphasizing her as the girly girl who wants to be a grown-up but is young and isn't quite right like not a girl not yet a woman Mm -hmm. right like it's kind of the pixie vibe so I think that aging her too much would be a mistake, but I think that Way of X feels like it's a book that's going to age her organically. Like by yeah. the end of that book, I feel like she's going to be someone who feels more like a peer of the New Mutants characters. Whereas I think that where a lot of fans like me bounced off Pixie at first, it was that it very much felt like it felt like they were trying to get her over, like to use yeah. wrestling parlance. Like it, it was just sort of, okay, we get it. Like you like this character, but why does she get to jump to the X-Men? You know? Right. And it's that kind of that artificial writer plucking a character that they like. And it's something we see in literally every single era. And it's why yeah. X-Men fans are always like, can we have this character on this team and whatever? But like Pixie, Pixie was elevated. Yeah, and apart from the original New Mutants and Kitty and Jubilee, most of those characters fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. There's only usually one or two breakouts from each era. Monet is the only Gen X character who really graduated, right? Right. Like, besides Jubilee, who was pre-existing. And even then, Jubilee was depowered for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, so, I mean, and Monet you know. was kind of kept in very lesser books for a long time. Yeah, oh, Monet was very backgrounded. I mean, I was just talking last week about the X-Core arc where, like, Banshee is running his, like, fash cop Yikes. thing in Paris. <laughs> yeah, not a great moment for Daddy Sean. <laughs> but, you know, we all go through it, I guess, when our loved ones die. The thing is, oh, Husk and Jubilee and Monet show up to, like, check on him. And they could do that because they weren't in any other books. Mm-hmm. Like, And then after that shuts down, Morrison has them in the background in the X-Corp, where a lot of characters just sort of got shoved, where it's like, this is X-Corp Paris, X-Corp Mumbai, like, X, you know, whatever. Yeah. It wasn't until later that, again, in most cases, it's people who grew up with the character getting a chance to write it and saying, I want this character who I love from when I was reading. Mm-hmm. With Monet, it's more that Peter David plucked her for X Factor, yeah. which just raised her profile enormously because that book was so popular for so long. Yeah. But even like they really tried to make Chamber a thing for a while. Yeah. And he just didn't. And it just... He was on the X-Men in the Joe Casey era. Yeah. And it just didn't. I think that Chamber's problem was that he was... I think of him as one of a triptych with Pete Wisdom and Gambit. 
Like I think of them as all kind of the same character to some extent mm. in that nineties, like mood that like bad boy. Right. The like thing. stubble blow things. Up. Yeah. Like stubbly brunettes who are like the boy you shouldn't want to date. Who's a little older than you. That's sort of like Gambit to rogue and chamber to husk and Pete wisdom to kitty. Like that's sort of their dynamic yeah. on all those teams. And much like Gambit and Pete Wisdom, in the immediate aftermath of the 90s, those characters all kind of got downplayed mm -hmm. in a way that I think is interesting because they were so of that moment. And I think that the moment kind of had passed. Yeah. And they've now come back to different extents. I mean, Gambit certainly made a big comeback, mm -hmm. but only really in connection to Rogue. Like it's it's hard for Gambit to to break out without her. I'm interested, actually, I'm very interested to see In, him on Excalibur yeah, without, without Rogue. Rogue. I think that that's I think kind that of a will cool be... concept. Yeah, I like that. The thing that is most satisfying about this era is that these creators have the ability now to pull anyone. Mm -hmm. If you liked a character when you were reading the story 20 years, like no one is saying to them the way that Grant Morrison wasn't able to use Colossus or Moira because it was like, oh, we just killed them off. Like, yeah. none of that is happening. Any character you want is on the table. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what's creating this very fruitful environment because someone like Cy Spurrier is presumably looking back through Kurt's recent history and is like, well, who should I pair with Kurt as like his mentee? And it's like, oh, he had this mentee relationship with people. Like, you can just sort of pluck people out of wherever you want them. Yeah. And use them without any problems. Well, it's and I would a really love to see, liberating. I would love to sense. see like a good shakeup of casts post uh, Hellfire Gala because I think mm -hmm. that there's just, there's so many mutants on the island and we're seeing kind of fun little glimpses of like, here's tempo for a page. Here right. is. Um, malice and you know she gets an issue to kind of explain who she is and yeah i'm excited to see now that lorna is on the x-men team mm -hmm. i have to imagine lorna is going to feel a way about malice I, that would be really cool to being explore around that would be cool to explore i think tempo will be on the marauders that feels natural so, yeah. to me you know and marrow popped up there too the issues where Marauders is secretly a book about the Morlocks are always really fun. Mm -hmm. So I bet we're going to get more of that also, especially now that the Mad Rapport arc has sort of wrapped up with Morlock supremacy over Lowtown. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. I would like to see more cast shakeups. I am excited by the cover for July's Excalibur, which seems to show Megan mm -hmm. on the team in place of Rogue. I think that that's a great... Yeah, I'm excited. To I mean, see. obviously, I'm like biased because I love Megan, but <laughs> I also think Excalibur in particular is a team that has so many high-profile characters on it mm -hmm. that I think it is totally logical to send one of them to the X-Men and elevate a less prominent character. I think that Completely. that is because it's a very stuffed team, as opposed to a team like X Factor, where I feel like those characters are really beloved but not right the energy is the team less than captain britain correct. leading a team there are scores of fans where rogue and gambit are the only reason they read comics exactly. right and so having them be supporting characters is always going to be yeah it's tricky for those difficult. fans for, for for those fans, fans who right can i thought it was great holistically right you know um, so you know whatever i thought it was great but X Corp is another one. Like we've seen that Trinary is going to be there. Mm -hmm. Multiple. I man. like seeing these new ongoings pop up because some of those unused characters 100%. 
are getting like way of X is, you know, Pixie hasn't been up to anything. And here she is now as the co-lead of a pretty big launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's super cool. I would like, there's so many characters that have these relationship strings that I would love to see kind of pop up in different ways. I was just thinking about uh, before that Pixie would be so fun to pop into just a quick arc of Hellions because she and empath have this history of her continually fucking stabbing him with her knife. And I just want to see him come back because he's being such a dick to everyone. But she could be the one person where he's like, oh, she's stabbed me a couple times and it's done a ton of damage because. Yeah, like I'm scared of her, it's a actually. Psychic damage to me. Um, so that would be kind of a fun element. Um, and of course, Kurt in that Hellion's connection are so strong right now with Zebos yeah. using him um, for those kind of quotes. So I think that that would be fun. That would be fun. I mean, I also obviously would love to see her pop up in Excalibur now that Otherworld that is make, such a it big makes such part good of sense. the... Yeah. And we'll get into that in the questions because people are also making that connection <laughs> in ways that are... Because it is, it is you know, an obvious thing. Right. I think that will come down to how long Way of X runs, right? Right. Like if it does end up being a mini, then she could go somewhere else. If Way of X ends up being something that, and I hope it is, mm-hmm. that runs for really dozens of issues, then she and Kurt might be sort of there more yeah. permanently, at least for the moment. Yeah, I think that she makes, I mean, like you said, there's kind of the mentorship connection. There's a connection to her being a prominent kind of member of the younger X-Men who hasn't really been doing anything. And I think it there are just all of these strings that kind of make sense that when you think about the idea of Kurt leading this kind of charge for what is morality on Krakoa. Like the youth movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But her specifically, you're like, of course this like this little dummy would be the voice of what is kind of contemporary on Krakoa because like she's always been so connected to this idea of like she wants to have fun she wants to you know connect with her her peers and I just I loved how she was used in way of x to be almost scared of this new kind of yeah energy that the kids are bringing it was sort of that x factor issue that made it click for me Mm -hmm. that these kids suffered more than any other generation Mm -hmm. of mutant students And she was the point of view character for that class throughout a lot of that period, not in the initial Mm -hmm. decimation purifiers blowing everybody up moment, but afterward, sort of the aftermath of like picking up the pieces and all of that. So it makes a lot of sense if we're revisiting those kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what Way of X is on some level is like, what are all the kids up to now that we're not at a school and we're in this paradise where nothing has consequences? To have her be the one who is like, wait, everybody, like, let's listen to the grownups, maybe. (laughs) She's like, we might not know what we're doing. Um, Right. Because she's the one who has fucked around and found out. Yeah. A lot. You know, like, she's been burned. It's kind of that element of um, how armor was used early in. uh, Yes. Dawn of X uh, for that kind of New Mutants B team. In the Brisson New Mutants. Right. Yeah. Uh, And it was just kind of like the the kids leading the charge on their own. um, But Armor is obviously this kind of more principled character and wants to be a superhero and wants to, you know, Mm -hmm. be an X-Man. Where Pixie, you know, in that same element is a little bit more of the boom boom and is kind of like, well, I love to party on Krakoa and maybe I'll do something kind of heroic because that's part of what I do. But I am an X-Man, right. but like, you know, but she's vibing. She's absolutely coasting on vibes. Whomst among us isn't. 
in this moment right now, I'm feeling very connected to anybody who's just vibing and clinging <laughs> to the vibes, you know, like, it honestly, Way of X feels like it's coming at exactly the right time. Exactly. Yeah. X Corp too, actually, you know, X Corp was supposed to come out a year ago and Teeny has talked about how she needed to reconfigure mm-hmm. the concept. It just wasn't clicking and that it's now clicked together. And I actually think that it's auspicious timing for both of them because way of x is about these kids being restless and like we are all so restless right now after a year indoors and all of that and x corp similarly is like the sense that we're getting is it's like boardroom drama it's succession and like we weren't in a workplace for the last year so i think that now that we're all like i mean i work from home all the time but for people who are now you know in in the sense of people are going back to work Uh it makes sense that like now we're going to read the book about business the kids are not all right is also like a very appealing book right now yeah so i'm looking forward to that in terms of what else i'd like to see I liked the concept of the pixie Nico Minoru. Mm, that was teased for like half a second. Thing that was teased. Not that I want them to get together, but the idea of, again, if like pixie is representing like youth culture, like a more fluid sexuality mm-hmm. is very Gen Z. Like, you know, she is, was it in Secret Wars where like pixie was presented as gay or like yeah, the, an alternate Wars pixie? Runaways. Yeah, and Rainbow Rowell said that she was drawing on that. I understand that lesbians and bi women who are reading these books are frustrated with all the teasing. Mm -hmm. And I do think that Marvel needs to step up on that. I think Pixie is a character who you could do interesting stuff with there. I think because of like the girly girl thing you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you can have her like... In the same way that Kitty always, I mean, Kitty is, of course, a funny case herself, but in the way that Kitty, and I mean, like, teen Kitty, not Kate now, was like, oh, I have crushes on boys. Like, you know, you could do that with Pixie, but also have her have crushes on girls. And unlike Kate, where she had to take some time to figure that out, Mm -hmm. for Pixie, I think it could be very normal. Yeah, I mean, this is the character who, like we were saying before, like, knew she was a fairy the whole time and just never told anyone. Exactly. it it doesn't matter to her. It's part of who she is. It's not a, a declaration she ever had to make. Like, I could see her absolutely macking on girls, and it would make complete sense with the through line of her character yeah and i think that it could be fun with another character who is a bit more of a tomboy character mm-hmm. you could do something like you could do like a kitty and rachel kind of thing yeah a bit, that would be fun i mean people ship uh pixie and armor um oh that would be cute because they both have that kind of energy of one growing up in the the same kind of era of x-men but also armor has always been kind of this like type a character very yeah. very superhero minded very like i'm gonna prepare for you know what the assignment is you know what that ship reminds me of is did you play final fantasy 13 mm-hmm. yeah it has that like fong and vanille vibe yeah to it. absolutely that's like not one of my favorite final fantasies yeah but i like that like very girly girl candy pink mm-hmm. girl and like this is my girlfriend who is sailor uranus like it's also that right right? it's that energy i don't think armor is quite she's not as butch necessarily she's not that butch but there is something i mean and we don't need to necessarily fall into butch femme all the time right i mean listen if betsy and rachel actually get to 
be a couple as they've been really aggressively hinting the flirtation between them for mm-hmm. like a year now. If that actually happens, that will be a Butch Femme X-Men That's Fantasia. That's That is the moment. <laughs> yeah, like that is truly old school shit, like on the back of Rachel's motorbike. But <laughs> I think you could go, again, like in a more... It would almost be a little more contemporary yeah, to it, not necessarily go to that. Not that that doesn't still exist, but I think that fluidity, like I said, mm-hmm. is much more like, you know, I feel old fashioned now being just like a gay because <laughs> I feel like the kids today are like existing in the dodecahedron of different identities <laughs> that I don't understand. Sexuality takes you into another dimension. I love that for them. Like, do you and feel the vibes like pixie's just feeling the vibes and if the vibes are right with with you know whether that's literally anyone <laughs> i think i think that could be cute they both popped up at the beginning of cable the cable i know solo i was series. so worried that that moment was going to become like a weird i mean cable then ended up going on to date you know multiple women but they're all the same woman but but they're all the same woman <laughs> so it's fine yeah but I was very worried we were getting like little Playboy cable. And then that series turns out to be so infinitely delightful. Um, oh, I love it. And I was so skeptical because I, yeah. I, well, I hadn't read, I had read Jerry's Uncanny Avengers, but I hadn't read his Deadpool because I'm just not a Deadpool person. Mm-hmm. So I was not really that familiar with Jerry's work like overall. Yeah. And he's so funny, yeah. like, effortlessly just charming. And you hear about a cable book and you never think that this is going to be like a teen dramedy. <laughs> I've really enjoyed that book. I'm sad it's ending, but I'm excited to see the ending mm-hmm. because it's, yeah. it's a I very it, clear arc. It lasted a, the perfect length for me. It is notable that when like Teen Cable is getting to know his peers. Yeah, it's those the two. The two representatives are like, it's Pixie and Armor. Mm-hmm. Like, these are characters who you recognize from that era. And it's you know? very, it's Armor helping him kind of solve the giant monster. And it's Pixie sprinkling Pixie dust and having yeah. fun with the kids. I would like to see the ladies mastermind start dealing Pixie's dust as a drug. I mean, perfect. They would have gotten the idea in Pixie Strikes Back where she literally is being fed her Mm -hmm. own dust the whole time. And Reagan worked for Mystique when Mystique was like harvesting mutant growth hormone from Dazzler that one time. Dark story. (laughs) Dark storyline. I'm just picturing like Reagan and Martinique basically shaking down pixie's bed sheets for like wing dandruff mm-hmm. and just like putting it in vials and selling it to humans just That's like people doing lines of pixie dust people like, doing lines of pixie's dust right i have a feeling we're gonna see that in way of x coming up <laughs> is that not the hellfire gala after party <laughs> right it's like darling could you just shake your wings over this bag <laughs> We would love it if you could. <laughs> it's our father's power. We ought to share it, you know? We'll give you a cut. We're managing the business end. They're like, Pixie, give us a bump. <laughs> Martinique, like, bothering Pixie for a bump of dust would be so funny. That w- it would be great to see, like, Martinique off the deep end on Pixie dust. On Pixie dust. Just Reagan's like, like, God. Completely gacked on Pixie. <laughs> that would be fun. And Reagan's just like, I told you not to do it. <laughs> You're not supposed to do the pixie dust. We're supposed to sell it. We can make people see unicorns literally anytime. Why do you need that? Yeah, you don't. It's just, it just feels so good. I like it. I'm enjoying <laughs> myself. Buzz off. There's also something like leaning into the cock destroyers or like Towie of the ladies mastermind. Mm-hmm. Like I think that pixie as like this Welsh coal town girl just not knowing how to deal with them is also like a very funny Mm -hmm. but also kind of being immune to their like absolute 
grandiosity. Like, yeah, because she's just like, oh, it's my sister again. You know, like, <laughs> because it's been 10 years now since Pixie Strikes Back. Mm. So we can just assume that in the background, those characters have interacted over the years. But since, it would also make you know? total sense if they just hadn't. Like, Pixie heard that. And well, that she was too, like, right? Like, not, <laughs> like, I love that for you. It's not my journey. I'm not taking that on today. <laughs> I'm not taking that on right now. But no, I'm hoping that Pixie's mom and sisters will play a role in it. Yeah, I would love to see Mrs. Gwynn come It's back. such a fun family dynamic, mm-hmm. you know? And there's so much to be said, I think, about Mrs. Gwynn specifically choosing a mutant partner yeah. to almost engineer pixie's birth kind of a kind of a charles xavier and moira trying to make omega yes very much it's funny pixie is a changeling Mm -hmm. right like she's this fairy child that was left with the x-men yeah i mean there's a great moment actually in pixie strikes back where emma is like i thought we found megan gwynn under a head of cabbage somewhere (laughs) yeah like she was just a changeling left on the doorstep one day yeah But it is really that. It's like a cuckoo's egg kind of thing where this fairy mated with a mutant supervillain who had an interesting and useful power Mm -hmm. created this fairy mutant child and installed her with the mutants. Specifically put her in the X-Men because she said it would bring Mm -hmm. out the best qualities in her. Yeah. And immediately is like, and clearly you guys didn't do it. Like you guys messed up what I wanted you to do with my daughter. Right. So it's good stuff. I want more. I would love to see. I mean, I have like, of course, a story brewing in my head of like, what what does that mean for for her to be yeah. the half fairy, half mutant kind of return to other world, return to her mother's people? Well, I want Megan and Megan. I, I want it. Give us, give Megan, us that Megan. they are connected. I want the Megan Megan moment. There's a character in Strange Academy right now, which is the mm-hmm. Scotty Young, kind of a young yeah. sorcerer's book, because um, I love my teen characters. Is Pixie in that at all? It's weird that she's not. There's a fairy character in it named Kaylee, and she comes from Otherworld, is always talking about kind of Otherworld, and I guess her mother is some sort of fairy royalty from Otherworld. We just sure. found that out. But she's like pink, has pink hair. So I would love some sort of kind well, of Well, there's something there. there then, for sure. Yeah. I haven't been keeping up with and that book. And Scotty Young is the artist on the notable kind of pixie. On Quest for Magic. Yeah. yeah. My one big complaint about that Strange Academy lineup is just that I don't like giving Sim a daughter. I find that like very yeah troubling because of like Sim. If you really try to fit that book in, it's a little weird. Like, we have Son of Dormammu. We've got... Uh... Yeah. You know what? It's very it's very um, Scooby-Doo in the ghoul school. An iconic I mean, VHS for gay use of the 90s. Um, so, like, on that level, it appeals to me. It's just, like, the sim of it all because he, like, is a tormentor and abuser of children. I was just kind of like, I don't love this. Yeah, not the energy. <laughs> not the energy, but it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. I should catch up on that. It's fun. It's ex-adjacent, like Ileana's in it. Ileana's in it. Wanda's in it. There is that moment where, it, you know, it reveals Wanda's emails and it shows... Yeah, that... I'm not sure we're supposed to see those as canon. Yeah. Like, it's not think... edited in the ex-office. I think that might be, like, a gag. Right. That we're not That's supposed to take that seriously. But I'm confident that the Wanda of it all will factor into things soon. I mean, it's clear that Psy is up to something with that mm-hmm. in way of that. Yeah, so. I, I feel like... That thread is being pulled on a couple books right now, and we're going to see that. Yeah, and we're going to see it. I mean, Hickman clearly has a larger plan for that character, I think, Mm -hmm. that we first saw hints of in Empire. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that is one of the books that's been teased moving forward. Well, I think that is a good time for us to get into the reader questions. We got so 
many. So if I don't read yours, I apologize. But we got a lot. Pixie's just so popular. She is, you know? And you know what? Love that for her. Love that for her. Our little Pixinistas. Mm-hmm. Little dust heads. Oh, no, but that, <laughs> that would confuse people because there's a character dust. So maybe it's not. We can join forces. Two queens coming together name. to maximize Absolutely. their joint story. Well, dust is going to be in Way of X. We know that. So mm. I actually would like to see those characters bounce off each other. I just think, I think Dust is an interesting character who has been endlessly fascinating, underserved enormously because of the complications. Right. Cause it's easy to fuck it up. Right. Like, you know, so. And we just do not have enough Muslim writers. No. To... <laughs> and that's exactly it. I think that people are afraid they're going to tackle not just a Muslim because like Monet is Muslim, but it's not something right. you have to talk about with Dust. She's very observant. Mm -hmm. You have to really actually do some reading. <laughs> not mess that up. Be you know, respectful. like, and not fuck it up and be respectful. Right. I actually, to go way back, I think that's part of why Surge disappeared. Mm. Because when those characters were first introduced, and it was, like, very post-9-11, Surge has those, like, very Islamophobic sentiments yeah. about Dust and their, like, roommates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Surge has to, like, learn a valuable lesson about not being racist against her Muslim roommate. And it's presented in that very 2000s, like, liberate your body versus hide your body. Kind right. Of, and it's, it's a... And the, the takeaway is, like, Soraya chooses this. Mm -hmm. It's progressive for its moment. It's just, I think that Surge being the mouthpiece for, like, this Muslim stuff is sexist. Like, I think is an albatross the character has carried around yeah, since, to some not... extent does not age well but you can get past that i mean like you know kate pride is doing her thing and she <laughs> certainly has a couple moments in the 80s that have not aged super well so you know kate is the poster child yeah i'm sure surge can come back around so first question tree writes howdy connor and josh what a killer combo josh my boyfriend and i are such fans of your art everything you do is so charming connor my admiration of you has greatly increased after learning of your relationship with the cock destroyers iconic if you missed last week's episode, I do represent the Cock Destroyers. And they are, I will just say, absolute angels. So lovely to work with. Just true jewels. Wonderful human beings. From Pixie's first major story, many a creator has toyed with the concept of her going dark. She changed physically after losing her soul with varied consistency. She had black streaks and then more insect-like wings, but these have both been relatively abandoned. She found herself with bat wings and edgier personalities in both Age of X and Disassembled. What's your favorite take on Dark Pixie? Do you think it works as a concept? Why do writers and artists love giving her the 90s treatment? Best tree. What do you think about that? I think I prefer that it doesn't stick. I think I prefer... Mm -hmm. well, and, and it's something that I've been thinking about with Pixie Strikes Back. Like, that story works because Pixie is so go with the flow. Like, she gets put into this, like, Pixie Dust hallucination of this high school world. And all of her friends are like, something is wrong here. Like, we've got to get out. And she's like, just roll with it. Like, no matter... Like, I see a demon in my high school. We're, we're going to keep going. It's going to be fine. And I think it's it's also part of what kept her from becoming... Like, there's, there's a, a a reality where they really leaned into this, like, pixie lost part of her soul. She goes down this deep, dark kind of, mm -hmm. like, journey to the bottom of the barrel and whether or not she comes back or not. But they really didn't play with that with her. They, they did in, you know, they dabbled, but it wasn't her entire kind of thrust as a character. And I really liked that because I think that it would have instantly dated her. Like you couldn't not look back at that and be like, oh, she's just another magic, but even kind of more reductive. Yeah. 
it's like anime magic because it's the aughts. Exactly. Like that's how it would come across. I think in the way that Marrow got very stuck in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marrow couldn't kind of get out. It's of been that for very, so very difficult for that character to escape her original pop cultural context. Yeah. With Pixie, I think the reason it appeals to people to do that is because of the traits we've identified where like she is this very sugar and candy, sweetness, girly girl character. And so there's an appeal to you take the nice girl who's innocent Mm -hmm. and you make her bad and you make her sexy. It's honestly, to go back to Pixie's very first stories, what they did to Rain. Yeah. Rain was this repressed Protestant girl from Scotland raised by an evil priest who turned out to secretly be her father. And the way that writers felt they should develop her was to have her abandon all of that stuff, to not be worried about morals anymore, to become very aggressively sexual to the point of, I mean, like, it's a sliding time scale issue in part because when she is sleeping with Elixir, they say at one point that she's 18. I just don't buy that. Yeah. It's like how Jubilee was 17 or 18 when she became a vampire. And you're like, I don't know that that works. Well, that I that I buy because save this for a Jubilee episode at some point later this year. But I love Vampire Jubilee. I've said this before specifically mm-hmm. because if you're not going to let Jubilee age, having her be a vampire is a very funny meta way of doing that. Yeah. And I thought that was hysterically funny. And I would love if she had even like, maybe she just turns into a vampire in other worlds sometimes. Because Sebalith is a whole vampire kingdom exactly. now. Like give Jubilee a Sebalith arc where like she can unlock vampire mode. That would be fun. <laughs> you know? Let like, her just go sicko mode in other worlds. Let her like turn it on and off. You know? I think that would be cute. With Rain, it was just like, I'm sorry, I don't buy that it's only been four years since New Mutants number one mm-hmm. you know it's just not plausible to me now of course in the zeb wells new mutants they say inferno was four years ago that's fully wild but i understand that that's you know marvel time is is complicated yeah the point i guess i'm making is that because the x-men's ages are so vague on purpose it becomes about classes right and so having rain hook up with someone two classes younger than her felt predatory even if the older classes haven't been allowed to age very much yeah and then the fact that she was literally his teacher which like she wasn't when they started anyway this is getting into rain (laughs) stuff that we don't have to get to but i think that it's illustrative because rain is a character that they did push down that let's break the cutie let's go to a dark place and it ruined the character Mm -hmm. i mean the character was just screwed for many many years because there was nowhere to take her after that i think with rain the impulse of her being like so kind of devout and then breaking that is that like swinging the pendulum all the way to the other side yeah i understand it logically but i do think that it may like you said it damaged the character Mm -hmm. sort of irreparably and i think that with pixie what they did that was clever was they gave her stories where she could swing into that and then swing back out of it and Mm -hmm. be sort of reset to the reason people like the character, which is not that. Right. And I think it's not the trajectory of her narrative. Like, if characters were constantly commenting on the fact that she is, like, over-the-top sweet, over-the-top nice, and then, you know, we see this, this kind of break to that, that would be one thing. But it's kind of her story arc has always been about her becoming 
a hero version of what she is. Right. But not necessarily like an altruistic hero version of what she is. So to to have the complete antithesis of that be like a nightmare bat person, it's like, I'm bored. It's like, okay, fun for an issue. I don't want to dwell on this. And like you said before, I think having nightmare pop up as almost like an AU uh, character that like pops into the main universe and having Pixie react off of that, that would be super funny and super fun. You could do like a Bloodstorm kind of thing. I mean, I think that they're not trying to do alternate versions right now because Krakoa already has so many characters, which I think is for the best. But I also just think like you could repurpose elements of that design into a new original character mm-hmm. and just do it that way you know yeah without it being literally nightmare right the pixie form or whatever but yeah i mean i think basically just it's appealing to take the sweet characters and make them bad i mean like with kurt when kurt was dead they brought in age of apocalypse kurt who is like this brutal guy because that contrast was interesting to mm-hmm. play with right so it's a similar kind of thing yeah like an old man logan of it all yeah but particularly with the characters who are good and sweet right. there's this interesting like what if they were yeah i mean a lot of age of apocalypse is explicitly that right so you know i think that's what it is but i don't think it's ever stuck because the character is less interesting if you leave her there mm-hmm In the same way that magic would be less interesting if she just became the dark child and was a villain forever. The tension of the character is the interesting thing. Yeah. Jesse Adkins writes, Hi, Connor, an esteemed guest. I'm so glad you're explaining Pixie this week because she showed up in my pull list twice this month and I have absolutely no idea who she is. My first exposure to her was in Runaways 34 and 35, which are cute and gay, and then again this week in Way of X, which was all around phenomenal. I'm sure you've already covered what's up with this adorable, parentheses, gay teenager. So my question is, does Pixie have naturally pink hair or does she have to spend four hours in a salon every other month to maintain it? Does Krakoa even have salons? Of course, now that she's been revived on Krakoa, I'm sure it just grows that way. I am quite frankly jealous. My pink hair of five years faded over the pandemic and getting it back would be my only request of the five. If you were going into resurrection protocols, would you give the five any requests? Thanks as always for running such a fun podcast. I laughed for two hours straight while listening to the Ladies Mastermind episode. Sincerely, Jesse. P.S. Every time I hear Ladies Mastermind, I think of Attorneys General. And now all I want is to see Reagan and Martinique attempt to disguise themselves as politicians. I would also enjoy that. I always think of Captain's Britain, which is the plural of Captain Britain. That would also be funny. Like the Lady Mastermind Corps. Can you imagine? Like, all <laughs> <laughs> Just literally boobs flying in every direction. Across the multiverse. So Pixie's pink hair is natural. Mm-hmm. It turned black for a while when she was evil. It would turn like black with pink streaks when she was losing her soul. That got better. It is just like Lorna Dane's mutation or one of those where sometimes they just have cooler. We used to think that Kanon had a purple hair mutation, possibly post Spiral messing with her and Betsy, that like Spiral had done that. But it seems now that her hair has gone back to its natural color, which means Betsy was dying it all those years, which uh, must have been rough on the follicles. But with Pixie's natural, would you give the five any requests if you were being resurrected? I would like to be just a little bit taller. I'm 5'8", and I'm in this like weird zone where I'm like not short, really, but like I just bought clothes for my sister's wedding in a couple weeks, and they had to be tailored like aggressively because I'm right in between off the rack sizes because of my height. So that would be nice. Like 5'10". Not, like don't go crazy. Um, I would probably, I would go for pink hair. I don't know. I had that over the summer. Like many people had a little quarantine hair dye and I loved it. I thought about it, but I was too lazy. 
honestly. I mean, yeah, by the grace of God, I had a, a friend who was very good at dyeing hair because not going into a salon. No, right. And I was just sort of like, well, I could do this myself, but then it will probably just be yellow. And I don't want to, you <laughs> that know, is the like, disaster. And then you put hair. the pink on there and it becomes orange. You look a fool. I would have done like a platinum moment maybe, but I was just kind of like, first of all, it's like the gay cliche and like I am going through a crisis right now because we <laughs> all are. So like, you know, I recognize that, but I only want to do it if it's going to look good and I wasn't confident in my ability to do it myself. Now's the time. So I think now you know who Pixie is somewhat, Jesse, mm -hmm. from this episode. As for whether she's gay, up in the air. Unclear. Unclear. I can't remember if she's ever had... Oh, Velocidad. So she has been attracted yeah, to boys. Yeah, she's kissed exactly one boy. I go back to what I was saying about like Gen Z's like pansexual fantasia. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's very emblematic in that way. And you could just do that, which would be good. I will say about Pixie's hair. Um, I Since the Pixie Strikes Back, we haven't had like a clear delineation of what is fey and what is mutant. Yeah, because her mom's hair is also pink. Yeah. So it might not be a mutation. It might be part of her fairy heritage. So we actually don't know. In the, the fairy dust, her wings, like where does that... Because we've seen the fey yeah. obviously have wings. I have to assume the dust is the mutation. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I, w I would assume, or maybe even just the hallucinogenic properties of the dust. or Sure, yeah. There hasn't even been a ton of consistency as to where... I, they say in the text her dust comes from her wings, but recently, like, in in that Runaways arc, she's, she's shown blowing it from her mouth, which I'm like, that is too far. But, I mean, <laughs> God bless. In Way of X, she blows a kiss of mm -hmm. Pixie Dust, basically. But she's flapping her wings, yeah, so and... the implication is that she's, like, drawing it out and then right, blowing and then, it. Yeah, that's know? a little flourish, I like. Yeah, well, it's like a very Sonya Blade moment. <laughs> I like a cute little girly but dangerous flourish like that. It's always fun. We got two questions in that I'm going to read together about Pixie's costume mm. that were both funny. Joshua Bruckner writes, Hi, Connor and Josh. Very happy to know you're taking on one of the Academy X students. My question concerns Pixie's costumes or lack thereof. Pixie seems tragically stuck in the limbo of characters, especially younger and newer ones, who always just have a basic training uniform. To my memory, she's only had two different basic training looks, despite being on different Major X titles, including Way of X now. Why do you think certain characters, even ones like Pixie with pretty distinct looks, get stuck with the basic training uniform? And what sort of look do you think would work best with her? And then Bradley Clayton wrote at 3.09am, I know it's very late and it's unhinged to send a question at 3am the evening before you record this podcast, but just in case you happen to see this, Josh, you have a storied history in costuming X-Men, and yet your favorite is a character who in the main universe doesn't have much in the way of costume variety unless I'm forgetting something. Why is she still in the training uniform after all this time? What are the key elements that you think would be important in the design of her costume? Both of you are super gorge, love the pod, can't wait to hear you Devalicious Divas talk about my favorite miscongeniality. Well, thank you, Bradley. Bradley is Knife System on Twitter and is a very talented artist who you should follow. An absolute unhinged little divalicious diva. To answer the first part real quick, I think the reason that she's in the training uniform is because she's so visually distinctive that you don't have to give her a costume. Like, she's visually identified as an X-Man because she's in that uniform, but you know it's Pixie because she has pink hair and wings. So she doesn't really need to have her own look to be recognizable. What are your thoughts, Josh? I, I mean, I think it's the trap that falls into a lot of the younger characters, like people had said, which is kind of ironic that 
in that new X-Men post-decimation era, they do get these really distinct uniforms. Team uniforms, mm-hmm. yeah, when they're in squads. But then after the decimation, they're not anymore. Well, in, after the decimation, there's a smaller squad made and they each have, like Surge has kind of a cool um, midriff top moment. Mm-hmm. Um and these big chunky They like pants. personalize it. Yeah. It's kind of like the X Factor or sword costumes now where mm-hmm. it's a uniform, but everybody has their own look. Yeah. But Pixie's not on that team. Right. Until after Quest for Magic. Once she joins the team, they switch all to generic training uniforms, which I think works conceptually at the time. But obviously, like they've said, she kind of just continues in that. And all of the kids basically continue in that. And I think then the issue is, and we've we've seen writers and editors talk about this, it's hard to nail down a look for a character, kind of cement it as iconic, and then have them pop up in other places and have people kind of think about that, recognize that. Mm-hmm. I think she looks fine in the training uniform. I would like her to get a, a distinct uniform, but... I'm not super pressed about it. I don't mind a handful of kids running around in in their looks. Yeah, I think it mostly, I mean, I've said this about the New Mutants characters, it prevents them from really breaking out. I think Mm -hmm. that part of the ascent of magic that we've talked about is that Bocciolo costume because it made her visually distinct from her teammates. Mm -hmm. Whereas the New Mutants are often stuck in these New Mutants uniforms. Yeah. And don't get to create their own visual identity in the same way that an X-Men character usually does when they're not introduced as a student. I personally would like to see her get her own look. You could go back to the green color that she wore in the Paragon uniform. Mm -hmm. I think that looks nice with the pink. And DJ's still wearing that. Well, because DJ died in it, didn't he? So like, in order for us to recognize that it's DJ, he has to be wearing the Paragon Mm -hmm. uniform because that's the only thing we ever saw him wear. So in Way of X, it's this interesting thing where she is in the standard training uniform loa is in her more unique uniform that she developed as a character because she broke out a little bit she went to namor yeah books and did stuff the one thing with her is that she just gets whiter and whiter and whiter she's literally like polynesian and <laughs> it's a sunspot issue where she's mixed right but like if you look at her original appearances versus now yeah that's not on way of x because if you were referencing pictures of loa from any time in the last 15 years she's been real white white. i think it would be nice to dial that back Mm -hmm. anyway that's a whole side note but Loa's in a unique uniform, Mm -hmm. Blink is in her sword uniform, and DJ is in the Paragon's uniform. So these kids that Kurt has brought on the mission, they're in uniforms, but not in a uniform that they're all wearing. So it looks like unique costumes, but when you think about it, it isn't actually except for Loa's. I just think it would help her grow as a character, and I wouldn't be surprised if Way of X leads to her getting a new design that is like a costume. You know what I loved actually uh, is Cable Number One we talked about, but she's in that tracksuit. That yellow tracksuit. It's so towy. It's very working class British fashion. Yeah, if this little Welsh girl was going to pop over to, you know, ASOS or something, she would get herself that in her little like. She had like track shoes and it looked so good. And armor had a fun little outfit. And it was yellow to keep the visual of the training uniform, Mm -hmm. but it was a unique costume. You could keep the yellow, even yellow and pink look fine together. Yeah. I would love something like that. That was clearly just like Phil Noto having fun with it. Yeah, Phil Noto will always do like a 70s inspired moment and I adore that. Yeah, I would love 
a tracksuit type look for Pixie. I don't know enough about whales to say what like mm-hmm. working class youth culture in Wales is. But I think that you could do sort of fun visual. Like, again, I think that if you lean into her being a teenager who's British, mm-hmm. there's just different stuff, like different cultural references. She should yeah. be like making Doctor Who jokes. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. whenever Megan, 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 not Megan, talks about like EastEnders or Corey or something, it's like very charming and endearing and like sets her in a, yeah. in a place and time, right? She should literally always be talking about Love Island. <laughs> like that should be the undercurrent of her character. Yes, like and they both should. Megan and Megan should talk about Love Island together. Prestige maxi series where it's just them reviewing episodes of Love Island. I would enjoy that. I think that a costume would be good. I have a feeling we're going to get there because... This is her first real big showing outside of a team. Mm-hmm. It's not even really a team book, right? It's like yeah. sort of a Kurt solo book with these supporting characters. And it's clear that she and Dr. Nemesis mm-hmm. and Legion are the three other yeah. main characters, it seems. But I don't think they're like a super team. Like, I don't think they're going to be like, I don't think they're going to get a team name. Mm-hmm. Spurrier has been pretty clear that whatever kind of happens it's not going to necessarily resemble a team, but Pixie will be a part of it. Right. My friend suggested back before we knew that Way of X was happening, that like a Kurt book about religion should be called Acolytes, which Mm. I think would be so good. That would be really funny. If Kurt's tangling with Exodus, which I think will happen eventually, like over the souls of the youth or whatever, the idea of like Kurt's acolytes and Benet's acolytes being like rival acolytes could be kind of fun. Yeah. Benet de Paris is also, I got to do an Exodus episode at some point, but that's so much 90s that I got to reread. And Mm. I don't know that I want to do that. I will have to someday. It's a lot of shoulder pads. I mean, I love those. I love his specifically. Yeah. Big stupid shoulder pads that Sinister is jealous of. <laughs> but yeah, no, there's just a lot of a lot of rough content in that period, that late 90s moment. I'm excited for that episode. Remember Joseph? Joseph was hot. R.I.P. <laughs> anyway. That's the undercurrent of the X-Men. He was hot. Yeah, Rest he was peace. hot. He should come back, right? No, like that's I keep asking, where is Neil Shara? Not because Neil Shara is a fascinating character, but just because Neil Shara is hot. Well, I think he could be a fascinating character who is hot. I'm just saying the stories that he has been given up to this point were not that captivating. However, he's super hot and Kareem is evil again. So like there's plot there. There's a story there. There's a story there. Bring him into Way of X. Also, honestly, now that Betsy is Captain Britain, her ex-boyfriend from India would be a really interesting character for her to talk Mm. to. We'll get into that because there's a Captain Britain question later. There's a lot to untangle. (laughs) There's a lot to untangle there that I think could be interesting. Literally looking back at any Betsy as Psylocke issue, I'm like, there's a lot to untangle There's a lot to unpack here, yeah. I'm really interested to see Kanon interact with Betsy's exes who she dated Mm. while she was in Kanon's body. Like, Kanon and Warren, I liked the AU in Excalibur 17. That was really funny. Teeny has proven, I would... I mean, I love the entire team of Excalibur. I would read a hundred more issues of just Betsy and Kanon. Just Betsy and Kanon having their own adventure. Like, the two of them have so much to say. The only thing holding me back is, like, I love, love the way Zab is writing Kanon and mm-hmm. Hellion. So I just would never want her to leave that book. It, yeah, absolutely. Like, even when people were talking about the X-Men team, they were like, what if they put Kanon on the X-Men team? I'm like, I would love that for her because she deserves it. However, right. you can take her from Hellions over my dead body. <laughs> Yeah. I loved that crossover arc where she showed up to help Betsy. I would love to see an arc in Hellions where Betsy shows up to help her with something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Betsy's reaction to the Hellions would be so funny. Would also be fascinating. And she's worked with Alex so many times, so. Well, Betsy and Alex have a long, fraught, complicated, flirtatious, but I'm always threatening to kill you history back in the outback. And what better moment to crystallize that than now? What better moment to deal with that, right? So. I would love to see, I loved your episode last week, and I would love to see one of the masterminds. I mean, Martinique is showing up in Hellions, but what better place for the two of them than this, like, almost reject super team and they would both be so resentful reagan would be great on the hellions Mm -hmm. but i my dream for reagan right now is x corp because i just think that she and monet would be really really funny because monet would truly despise her but would be like (laughs) can't deny she's useful right Luke Reddick writes, Hey Cerebro, first off, would just like to say I'm a big fan of Josh and his work. His art is a regular highlight on the hell site that is Twitter these days. As for my question, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on why Pixie was chosen as the junior ex-girl of the aughts. She has a fun power and a distinctive visual, which obviously helped. But I feel like that could be said about some of her Academy X classmates too. Surge with the blue hair and gauntlets, Mercury being, well, Mercury. It even felt like she had strong competition when Whedon pushed armor forward. So what was it that took McGon from background character with a bike helmet to Audie's it girl? Keep it tidy, Luke. We've danced around this a little bit, mm-hmm. but like, what do you think it was? What do you think is the X factor? I mean, I'm wondering... As it were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if it, it has to do with her story kind of fresh off of Quest for Magic. I think that's, yeah. That teleportation power being really useful, her kind of having a fresh story. I remember, I tried to look it up before this, but I remember reading an interview with Matt Fraction where he explicitly says that Brubaker is the one who chose it. Interesting. Chose her as a character, but that Fraction was super excited to kind of continue writing her. Yeah, because it's right at the end of Brubaker's run. That transition is just about Pixie. And it's notable that you see Pixie kind of fall off quite a bit when Gillen takes over. I mean, Gillen does an incredible job of, she's the most Welsh that she's ever felt in his kind of... But she doesn't really have a prominent role in anything that Gillen does kind of moving forward. Even joining Generation Hope is after he leaves that book. So he, you know, I'm sure he's a fan of the character, but doesn't really incorporate her. So I don't, I, I, I'm wondering if it's that kind of that feminine Kitty Pride energy. But that could have been Surge, I guess. I think it's got to do with powers. I think that the visual was striking and that's part mm-hmm. of it but i do think that she was a total background character until quest for magic yeah and i think quest for magic just really resonated with people as like oh you just made this character a lot more interesting mm-hmm. the teleportation power which she gets in quest for magic it's a spell Ilyana teaches yeah. her sihal novarum chinoth which we have somehow not said yet yeah she says it every 10 seconds it's probably in a welsh accent more like sihal novarum chinoth Magic teaches it to her, and it's pretty much the only way that without magic, the X-Men can get back to Limbo. Correct. And also because magic after Quest for Magic goes off grid until after Infernus and all of that, Mm -hmm. it's like we have Ilyana's power without needing to have the character present. Which, I mean, it's an interesting kind of meta piece of, like, Ileana's mutant powers are her teleportation, but then she can just kind of generically give teleportation to someone else. I don't know. Well, I don't think it's as good as Ileana's. Right. What's interesting also is there's that bit where it's, like, Amanda Sefton and Doctor Strange both examine her afterward Mm -hmm. and say that she's going to be fine. And Doctor Strange promises that when she's 18, he'll teach her magic. Yeah. That's never been picked up on again, which is why I'm like, it's a little odd that she's not in Strange Academy, isn't it? Yeah. She learns one other spell. The sleepy spell. Yeah. Wanda, Wanda teaches, teaches that to her. It to her. 
but she, I guess she, she never quite masters it and never uses it ever again. I wonder if it's because her mother's magic is something she sees as not a good part of yeah. her life. And maybe she doesn't want to embrace like sorcery, mm-hmm. but who knows? I mean, we did see when Dr. Strange was out of the picture for a minute and there was that who will be the Sorcerer Supreme moment mm-hmm. and Brother Voodoo became Dr. Voodoo. Pixie was one of the potential yeah, candidates. candidates, which, you know, she's so young that it was not. But right. the idea that she has the potential mm-hmm. to be that powerful someday magically is interesting. Yeah. But yeah, as for why, I think it was a perfect storm. I think the quest for magic story made her exciting to people. I think that Ilyana coming back was exciting to people generally. And Pixie was tied to that plot. Mm-hmm. I think that. That teleportation spell made her enormously useful. Yeah, you see that in Messiah Complex. They're using it like crazy. Yeah, to have her tag along with all of the adult X-Men because she can perform a function. Mm -hmm. And I also think that aesthetically, she was very much a character of the aught. She has that... God, what was that brand of hair dye that they sold at like Spencer Gifts? Like Manic Panic? Manic Panic. She has the Manic Panic hair. She has the wings. She has sort of an anime aesthetic. She's almost a magical girl. It has mm-hmm. like a very aughts manga is exploding in popularity in the West feeling. Like I think that she just checked a lot of boxes all at once. And if they clearly wanted to do this kind of mutant bashing storyline, they needed to pick a visibly mutated... A visibly mutant character yeah. who also is cute right. enough that you're going to be upset yeah and by it you're gonna it, it, they can't marrow again they can't do somebody that right. the characters are or that the readers are just not going to sympathize with right yeah and i think that armor actually got a little screwed by what we talked about before which is that whedon's book was so frequently delayed Mm -hmm. that where it fit into continuity was never super clear and she was in that book until it ended yeah they had astonishing no matter i mean they had different writers taking over astonishing and armor was always like the teen member of that team but it was simultaneous to pixie being the team member on the flagship exactly essentially so they were fighting yeah and i think that pixie won that initially but then lost for a while because she did fall off Mm -hmm. for a minute once everybody came back together yeah after schism after avengers versus x-men particularly yeah well they very specifically had a new generation of kids yeah jason aaron had invented all these new characters that Mm -hmm. he was more interested in exploring yeah and then the o5 So she never had a chance. That's the real thing is I think part of why a lot of teen characters were nowhere until Krakoa is because for a long while, the teen characters were the teen 05. Mm -hmm. And Bendis is new. And Bendis also introduced a new class of students with Tempest and Triage. That is really the issue is that every new writer introduced Like I I think Hickman has made a point. He has said, Mm -hmm. we're not doing that. Yeah. There are a couple new characters who have been particularly like fauna like small children on mm-hmm. Krakoa because they want to have that but we're not really introducing new teens particularly like Cosmar is one of the only exceptions and Cosmar is introduced clearly for a very distinct yeah purpose which is that like she's really fucked up by her mutation mm-hmm. I mean I don't know if that was the plan that's clearly what Vita's doing with it and I don't know if that character if not for that hook would ever have really popped up again after the initial yeah arc where she was the threat Instead of doing that, they are trying to flesh out these characters because up through 2000, it really was only two classes of students beyond the X-Men. Like you Mm -hmm. had the New Mutants and then you had Gen X. And then 
when Morrison expanded the school so dramatically because the mutant population exploded in number, yeah. you suddenly had like 50 new background characters between Morrison's background characters like Quentin Choir and the Cuckoos and Glob Herman and Tattoo and Radiant, all those people. Mm-hmm. And then you also had the Nunzio and DeFilippis New Mutants team. Yeah. And then all of those other squads that were introduced as supporting characters in that. But So it's just like, you have a hundred of them now and not as much room for them on the page. It's interesting because it's clear that Nunzio and DeFilippis had a lot of kind of background to these background characters. There was that, yeah. the yearbook issue and just the things that they've said in interviews during and since that book. You know, they've really talked about plans that they had for characters or just what mm-hmm. they had kind of envisioned. So I've never gotten to the bottom of like, you know, how much did we know about Pixie? To begin with, how much was in their design? How much was created by people moving forward, Brubaker, Fraction, carry? Yeah. So we, yeah. Long answer is we don't know. <laughs> Long answer is we don't know, but something. I think it was that she just checked so many boxes She at is the moment. She has the, the energy. She certainly was the moment. And I think that now she might be able to be the moment again. She's coming back. Similar question, kind of related at least. Dan Guy writes, hi, Connor. Whilst it should be said, I'm sorry, I'll go a little British because it's whilst. (laughs) Dan Guy writes, Hi Connor, whilst it should be said that it is the fate of many superhero genre women to be increasingly sexualized as their prominence and popularity increases, it would probably be fair to assert Pixie as the X-Franchise's most egregious example, not least because this was done to a child. Do you think there's enough strength in the core of the character writing to move past this, or was the Greglandification of Pixie a crossing of the Rubicon that relegates her to footnote status? Worrying about it, Dan. So I think that it would have been for a lot of people. It certainly was for me. I mean, that's why I didn't care for the character, frankly. But Pixie Strikes Back helped take that back a little bit. Generation Hope also helped, I think, take that Mm -hmm. back a little bit. This book, I think, will be the book to do it because she's very much a kid here again. She's like maybe 18. She's like an adult, but she's young and she feels young and she doesn't feel sexualized particularly at all. I like her big bump it. (laughs) I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about in Pixie Strikes Back, Sarah Pacelli does her very much as like a Snooki meets the Rachel. Yeah. I mean, and Snooki would have been like literally right around that era. Yeah, yeah. I think when it comes down to her sexualization, her almost eroticism, what works for me for her is that that was never in the writing. Mm -hmm. It's the art. It was in the writing for a bunch of characters. You talked last week about like the Stepford Cuckoos and the that tantric sex. Yeah, weird. Very weird. The Cuckoos also, by their nature, are sort of fetishistic because it's like twin fantasy. Oh, yeah, the minute that they're on the page, all of them right? And one of them. Yeah, and like the cable book has leaned into that in a way that is cute and funny. Right, and it would Does be very not feel easy like it's for it not to be right. Exactly. Yeah. Something that that stood out to me when I was reading that scene of Pixie getting like hate crimed is it literally in contrast with cyclops telling emma frost to like turn around because she's wearing this like insanely sexy outfit and like you're seeing this girl get totally beaten up and you're also seeing this man be like you know you look so hot in this do what i'm saying but it was never in the writing for pixie she was never hooking up with guys until generation hope and even that is not presented in this kind of salacious way no and she feels bad about it yeah 
Because of Hope's feelings. She's never lusting after, like, Cyclops or the older members of the team. No, yeah. Like, even Hope in Gillen's Uncanny Run, like, she has that moment where she's, like, going after Namor a little bit and Namor kind of rebuffs her. But that Mm -hmm. was never Pixie's journey. She was never... Hope and Pixie would also kind of be a fun ship that you could tease out. Yeah. In my opinion. I would love that. Because Hope and Magic were vibing at one point. Hope is another character where, she, you know, she's she's explicitly kissed and been interested in men. But if she was to kiss a girl, nobody would blink an Very eye. Very queer, yeah. She's from the future. That's what they do. She's like Cable that way. You know, like Cable has never hooked up with a guy on panel. But if he did, we'd be like, yes, that makes perfect sense. That tracks. Oh my God, people would be so mad. I would love it. I know. I mean, like, Liefeld would, it would be a lot. <laughs> It'd be a lot. Sam Shep writes... Who would you cast if she were to become an MCU character? My issue is I don't know teen actors. Mm. Like, I'm very out of the loop. I'm in my 30s. Like, I don't know anymore who I would pick because everyone I'm thinking of is, like, you know, 25 at the youngest. And I'm like, that's probably too old. But I would say definitely cast someone Welsh. Yeah. Like, cast someone with the accent. Find an unknown. That's what they're doing with a lot of these young characters in the MCU new talent that has maybe acted before but has never had like a big break Mm -hmm. i think that might make more sense honestly there are so many soaps in the uk with incredible stables of talent that you could go pluck people out of i think yeah that's where i would go i mean pixie inherently kind of has like a like a uk skins energy to her Yeah, like that energy. I actually think that Pixie would be a really good POV character, kind of like an Anna Paquin rogue for the MCU X-Men. Because she's visibly mutated. She kind of has like a fun power that they could play with visually. So I think that that could be kind of a cool direction. The one thing that I would really want them to keep is her scary little eyes. Yeah, I love her scary eyes. We haven't talked about that, but she has black eyes. Sort of like Gambit, Mm -hmm. but even more alien looking. Yeah. And it makes her more bug-like. I don't think she had it when she was first appearing as like a paragon or whatever. Oh, no, she did even then. I just brought up a picture. She did have it originally. They were shinier, though, so it wasn't as obvious. And and sometimes artists do like the big kind of shine. I've even struggled with it with with trying to make it still look kind of pure black, but still adding some dimensionality to it. But it goes back and forth. Like Greg Land surprisingly does it well. Terry Dodson kind of wasn't doing it so well when he was drawing her. But at her best, she has these like very inhuman kind of eyes. Yeah, which is fun. I think it's so fun because it it takes that like element of you being like, I know who this character is. She's a visible mutant, but she's the most palatable. Well, it's not cute. Right. It's scary. It's weird. It's an element of her that's not cute and that I think lended itself to giving her that arc where she becomes sort of corrupted and monstrous because it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. what if the eye aesthetic kind of continued, you know? Personally, if I were doing like a POV for the MCU... I think my real cast for that would be Lorna. I think that the Magneto's daughter of it all is so... That would be... Like that's such a story. And she has kind of that Jean Grey element of move things around with her mind, but she has green hair, which is visually striking. 
Mm-hmm. And like, I can't control it. She kind of exactly. has that and then beat as well. To have the big villain revealed as her father, like that's that's a story. That could be interesting. I just have like the X-Men evolution problem where I wouldn't want Lorna to be significantly younger mm-hmm. than her comics age mates. Right. When Jean and Scott were like 17 and Storm and Beast were their teachers in X-Men Evolution, I found that very That strange. didn't quite work. Yeah, I need the character relationships to stay consistent, even if the story and alternate universe is different. Like, yeah. I need a little bit of consistency there for me personally. I don't know. But I think that's a good idea. If if Magneto's the bad guy, mm-hmm. then they definitely should do something interesting with Polaris, right? Like, that's, you'd hope. Yeah. But they should definitely do something interesting with Polaris is what I've been saying my entire life, and it rarely happens. <laughs> Here's hoping in the new era. Daisy Church writes, Hi Connor, long time listener and first time questioner. Pixie has a somewhat murky connection to the other world. With the new status quo of the fairy realm established, would you like to see Pixie get to grips with her mother's side of the family or avoid Merlin altogether? Alternatively, please attempt to say, and then she writes out the long Welsh town name. You know the one that I mean. It starts with like Lanfair, Pwyll. And I am going to try. <laughs> I am going to try. Is my understanding as to how you say that word. I saw Naomi Watts do it on a chat show once because she lived near there for a while when she was a kid. And I saw Luke Evans do it once on a, uh, on a chat show. I feel like the, I was trying to think of like famous Welsh people. Like what is my sense of Wales? And it's like Luke Evans, Shirley Bassey, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Pixie. That's Wales in my head. She is on their Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I love that bit in um, Generation Hope where she says she's from Wales. And is it Velocidad says like, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry about your princess. Yeah. <laughs> she's just like, that's you not... don't know much about Wales, do you? <laughs> yeah. No, that's not how that works. As for your question, I want Mrs. Gwyn to be part of like Merlin's evil court. That's what I want. That would make so much sense. That's a natural plot hook for Pixie to go to Otherworld is like, what if Merlin's scribe or court sorceress or whatever is her mom? Like that could be fun. Mm -hmm. And that could give her reasons to tap into her own magic more. It would give us that Megan and Megan story that I think would be fun. The future looks bright for Pixie, especially with Otherworld becoming a more central part of the X-Men lore and the marvel universe than it has been since the 80s i am excited to see where that all goes i think that pixie as a character who is fey and mutant and kind of demonic at times (laughs) like has been to hell and back like you know in terms of like ameth's incursion on otherworld there's a lot there that you could play with i don't know what would you like to see there yeah i i I think basically the same kind of points um i love your idea of mrs gwyn working with merlin who we know is kind of bad news bees right now i want to see the ladies mastermind go to Otherworld with her absolutely i want to see them just not handle Otherworld well and i want to see the conclusion of like why did mrs gwyn choose mastermind like there's got to be a story there yeah there has to be a story there and now mastermind's back that's right. the real question. Like yeah. Mastermind's on Krakoa. Yeah, I would, I need to see. Has Pixie met him yet? I would, I mean, it would be entirely within character for her to. For her to avoid it. Right, for her to just be kind of avoiding him. But I think that that's a story right there too. Like Way of X could 100% explore. Because he might not know that that's his kid. He probably assumes every other person that he sees here is one of his kids. 
Yeah, no, I think that that is definitely a story worth doing. I'd be surprised if that doesn't come up at all in Way of X. It just feels like if you're dealing with Pixie and Krakoa, where her sisters and her dad, who she never knew, who's Mm -hmm. a classic villain, are all around, it just seems like a natural thing to do. Yeah, I would love to see the ladies' mastermind go to Otherworld and like their outfit transformation is just that... (laughs) They could go like full red Sonia, Deja Thoris, like chainmail bikini type. Yes. Thing. I think, in, but like in black. I think that would be funny. Yeah, I think absolutely going for like a World of Warcraft, like inexplicably sexy night elf energy. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. That would be fun. Again, I mean, like Psy is doing stuff in Otherworld right now in Black Knight mm-hmm. and knows all that lore. So I would love to see Way of X and Excalibur sort of feed into each other a little bit. Mm -hmm. I know Teeny likes Pixie. So if we don't end up getting as much Way of X as we as we hope. Yeah, if Way of X does turn out to be a mini, I do think that Excalibur would be a natural home for the both of them. Yeah, both those characters, but particularly for Pixie, it's the British book and the Otherworld book. (laughs) The one problem is the Megan Megan problem, but I think that if you clarify that it's pronounced Megan, and and just call her Pixie, uh, just call her Pixie. Like you could even have a plot point where Jubilee is just like, "Listen, we're gonna call you Pixie because it's confusing." <laughs> and she, I mean, she like literally just goes by Pixie. <laughs> Mutant names are names. Astronomy writes, hello, Connor and Josh. I can't tell you how excited all block capitals I am for the first episode on Academy X Kid. Hopefully, the first of many to come. Don't hold your breath. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I have at least one more on the schedule already. I do always think of my guest spot in Battle of the Atom where I was like, I cannot believe you made me read Academy X Kids. It was one of the first things I said. You know, we'll see. We're blowing through just about everybody else. We'll do so. it again. <laughs> As a big time Pixie fan, I'd like Josh to know that his art absolutely gives me life. It's so good. My question pertains mostly to Pixie's physical appearance. Throughout the years, it's been highly variable, both due to artistic liberties and more notably as a result of in-universe trauma. Examples of this are the black hair streaks and the wilted wings after first losing part of her soul. Whatever was happening to her in Ex-Infernus, where she lost more of her soul, and her supposed ability to turn into her Age of X counterpart after the event. That never happened on page, but it was mentioned in X-Men Legends Volume 1, 248. Okay, good to know. Mike Carey stated that in the Age of X timeline, she originally had the 616 pixie wings, and apparently they arrived on the night of the Bleecker Street Massacre. No elaboration as to what that massacre was, three question marks. These are questions for Mike Carey that we can't answer, unfortunately. (laughs) This basically would be shape-shifting. Do you think that this shape-shifting ability is just part of her mutation? Is it related to her being part fairy? Or is it just a consequence of soul stuff and for Age of X reality warping? Thanks for all you do, astronomy. I'm interested in your take. I think that a lot of it is just, like, artists going off model. Mm. You know? Like, she's just one of those characters where it's up to the artist's discretion a lot of the time. Especially because she often just appears in group shots. Yeah. Because she's visually distinctive. It's not unusual for her eyes to be wrong or for her wings to vary between butterfly or dragonfly or, you know, any number of things. And I think a lot of the time that just comes down to artist's discretion. But it does seem like she has a more malleable form. That said, so does Ilyana, who is not a fairy. It's like the corrupting influence of Limbo does physically change people. We've seen that since the 80s. But I don't know. What are your thoughts, Josh? 
Yeah, I would say pretty firmly, I think it's soul stuff of the options, because we see that transform her hair, we see that, you know, give her kind of new physical abilities. Like I said before, I, I don't really care for the swapping her between nightmare kind of energy. But if she does do it, I would just chalk it up to the fact that, you know, she's had her soul tampered with and, and she's probably a little bit more malleable to play with her kind of dark energy than other characters. I think that, again, a lot of it has to do with the fact that her physicality is so striking and so sweet that it appeals to people to muddy her up a little bit. It always is going to be visually dramatic if it's like, what's going on with Pixie? Like, nothing good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's my read. Zach Wilson writes, Hi, Connor and Josh. I hope you're both doing well. Connor, I haven't written in a while. So while the quality continues to be superlative and the Ladies Mastermind episode was the hardest I've ever left at a podcast, I did want to draw special attention to you and Sarah Century's incredible Rachel episode. Not only did you have a great answer at the end for the question I sent in, but your treatment of Rachel's queerness, trauma, and journey were really personally meaningful, comforting, and wonderful. So thanks to you both. Well, you're welcome. That's very sweet. Josh, I love your Twitter and drawings. Gotta say that I miss Himbo Angel, though. Hopefully we shall see his like again. On to Ms. Gwyn. Tidy. I just had a great time laughing at y'all talking about Pixie interacting with the ladies' mastermind last week. Connor, anything else that you would want to see from her talking to her sisters or Josh, who wasn't there last week? How do you think Pixie feels about Ilyana's omnipresence and Wolverine publicity throughout the X line? In story, her importance to Krakoan society. Do you think she's still resentful of magic for the soul dagger or have they buried the hatchet? Thanks for all your hard work again. Happy to be part of the house of Z. Have a great day. Toodaloo. I love your thoughts on like other Pixie and her sister's stories. But in terms of the last beat, I just think that they really do handle that in the Zabwell's New Mutants. And it's never really been a problem with them again, as far as I can remember. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think that that moment kind of wrapped it up in an incredibly satisfying way. But I wouldn't be upset if Pixie like truly just didn't want to fuck with Ileana anymore. Yeah, same. If she was just like, you know, we run in different circles. You do your thing. I do mine. As for Pixie and her sisters, I mean, we just need infinite more interactions with them. I want, and I want it to be a very, like, I want Pixie to embrace her sisters. Me too. Like, they drive her crazy, but they're her sisters. I want that. And of all of the X-Men characters who kind of continually treat them as a joke, I want her to be like, I mean, they're my sisters. Like, we do our thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I mean, like, listen, I would read or write happily a hundred issues of Masterminds, the series, (laughs) about those three characters. I particularly think Pixie and Reagan would be really interesting Mm -hmm. to dig into more because Reagan is such a hard-edged character and yet is very feminine, like exaggeratedly so. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like that girly girl thing we've talked about, but in a hypersexual adult way. And I just think that them bouncing off each other could be really fun and interesting. But yeah, adventures where like they have to be sisters together, like make them like charmed. They're inherently kind of like goofy characters all to begin. Like no Pixie fan is out there like repping that she is like smart or especially. I mean, she's she's competent and she like, you know, is a hero at the end of the day. But she's not like she's not sitting down doing the homework. Right. There's a great panel from Generation Hope where Transonic, who's a character who, like, notably is very book smart, is talking to, I think, Dragoness of all characters. <laughs> and she's like, you were in the MLF. Like, I, I did the research. I studied that. And Pixie's just like, are you saying she's a MILF? Like, she literally in panel says that. <laughs> yeah, does not know what the MLF is at all. 
Anne looks at Dragoness and she's like, that's a MILF. Okay. That's a, yeah, MILFy. <laughs> I mean, Dragoness is hot. Uh, she has such a cool helmet. I, I don't know very she much about cool her, helmet. but I would like to bring her There's back. There's not a ton to know. She is a confusing character. <laughs> Alexander Pavlis writes, hey, Connor and Josh, first of all, I can't believe this combination. I'm totally fangirling out. I'm obsessed with the pod. And Josh is actually working on a big new X-Men commission for me right now. So I'm a total Academy X stan and have been with Pixie since her time on the Paragons. With her seemingly locked in way of X at the moment, what role do you see her playing there? The first issue came out today and I can't wait to see where it takes her. Can't wait to listen to this episode and push the Academy X agenda. Keep doing beautiful things, Aldondo. I think that her role in Way of X is going to be as the point of view on this youth culture. She is swept up in the thrill-seeking paradise island vibe of Krakoa, but is a little scared of it or not sure if it's the right thing for her. And I think we'll see her feeling like a misfit trying to fit in. I think that she's the character we're going to deal with the patchwork man through because it's clear you can only see him if you die and are resurrected. I think because he's made up of, they keep stressing the lost time that happens between resurrections. And I think that he's a patchwork of that. So you can see him now that you've died because he's partially you is my guess. Is the Patrick Man not Legion? Did I misread that? Xavier assumes that the Patrick Man is Legion. Okay, okay, okay. But then at the end of the issue, we run into Legion, and I feel like... He did look different. Yeah, and I feel like it wouldn't be that obvious. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think we're going to hang out with Legion in the end of the first issue if the answer to the mystery is that Legion is the Patrick. Like, I don't think so. It's possible yeah, yeah. that it's some aspect of it, but I think it's something else. And I okay. think that Xavier just assumed because Xavier has his own guilt about Legion. Right, right, right. So I think it's made up of a patchwork of like lost memories or resurrection fragments or something because Pixie sees him after she resurrects mm -hmm. and she hadn't before. I think that she's the character who's going to be dealing with that because we know that he's haunting the youth specifically. It's interesting. There are a couple different plots. It's clear that psychic intrusion on Krakoa, it's the best way to get in if you're trying to get in. Like mm -hmm. the Shadow King, Malice, and now the Patchwork Man. Thematically, overall, there's this idea that at in Arcadia Ego, right? Like death and threat is still here in paradise and can sneak in when you're not paying attention. So I think that she'll be our viewpoint character on that. She's dealt with corruption and corrupting influences before. So she's well suited to tackle that storyline. And I'm interested to see where it goes. What do you think and what would you like to see? I mean, I'm super excited she's in the book. Uh, I think she's always been served best when she's written by a, a female writer. But I think of all of the men that I kind of trust, Cy Spurrier is probably high on the list. To do something really interesting with her, I think that, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited to see that mentorship relationship with Kurt kind of continue. And I think that she can serve as a really good grounding force for him, especially as he's getting lost in these big concepts of Krakoa, because she very much represents a real lived-in Krakoa experience. We see her going to all the parties. We see her interacting with the new mutants. We see her interacting with the runaways as she's looking for more mutants to bring to Krakoa. So I think that she represents this Krakoan ideal, and he's really examining what that means. So I, I just want to see the two of them bounce off each other. Yeah. And I think that's the promise of the series. So that'll be cool. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I think it's going to be really good. Our final question. I saved this for last because it's heavy and sort of broader. Griffith Owain, who is Welsh, writes in from Wales. Love that. Love that 
I mean, who knew the reach of this? It's crazy to me. Like someone wrote in from Barcelona this week. I didn't end up reading that. But Luis, thank you for writing in all the way from Spain. That's crazy. <laughs> so Griff writes, hi, Connor, an esteemed guest, loving the podcast and truly gutted not to be with you spilling the tea about my favorite Welsh mutant. Having been raised in a Welsh-speaking mining family suggests McGann's been brought up with a very specific political background, working class, strongly labor in tradition, though these days likely to be in favor of Welsh independence. In fact, there's some textual evidence on the page to confirm these leanings, specifically her response to Velocidad's comments about Princess Diana. I'm interested in how McGann, working class, socialist-leaning Welsh McGann, would respond to Betsy's recent adoption of the Captain Britain title. Given Betsy's specifically English aristocratic upbringing, these two characters could not be further apart in terms of background, and having an unelected upper-class old money character draped in the flag and beating people up is a visual I don't see sitting well with Pixie. Without getting into the weeds of British politics, some additional context for the question is the recent weaponization of the Union flag by the right-wing political parties, the flag Betsy wears as a prominent part of her costume, and the growing support for independence from England in both Scotland and Wales and unrest in Northern Ireland in light of the Brexit vote. Any objection we've seen to Bessie's role so far has been due to her ex-gene, or, in Opal Luna Saturnine's case, simply that she isn't Brian. But what does Pixie make of it? What do Rain, Toad, Faiza Hussein, or any other British characters who have a history with Betsy make of it, come to think of it? This is something I'd love to see explored in the pages of Excalibur, particularly given that McGann's connection to Otherworld provides another handy excuse for stopping by. I wonder if you have any thoughts on the subject. Can't wait for the episode, and I'm looking forward to the continued success of the podcast, Griff. This is a great question, mm -hmm. and... I wanted to sort of address it, I guess, generally, because I'm obviously a huge Captain Britain fan. I'm a fan of Betsy. I'm a fan of Brian. I'm a fan of all the Captain Britain and Excalibur stuff going back to the 80s. The 70s Captain Britain stuff is like, whatever. It's not that great. I'm not British. So grain of salt, obviously, on this. I am, however, an Irish Jew, Irish-American Jews. So the idea that the British Empire is bad is not something that I have to be convinced of. Like, I'm with you on that. Part of what I like about Captain Britain as a legacy in Marvel Comics is that Alan Moore is not a pro-Empire, pro-monarchy kind of person. You know, that character and the core, the Captain Britain core, are in many ways about the arrogance of Britain on the global stage and Britain believing itself the center of the universe. And you get to see through the Starlight Citadel all of the various Englands, including Nazi England and like, you know, alternate Englands where it's still Captain Britain is still the represent, you know, because Avalon is invested in Britain. I think that expanding Otherworld beyond Avalon, the way that Teeny Howard and Jonathan Hickman have, was extremely important because it makes Avalon a specific thing that happens to be tied to Britain, but Otherworld is no longer like, like Britain is no longer the actual center of the universe, which I think is good because, you know, I think the satirical edge that Moore brought to it hasn't always carried through 100%. But certainly through all the classic Excalibur material, Brian is constantly being humiliated because something about the flag suit thing, it lends itself to let's embarrass this character a little bit. And I think that that has continued with Betsy. I think just based on knowing the writers involved, I don't think that the takeaway of Captain Britain in this era is supposed to be British Empire good. I think we'll see more. I'm interested to see more. I'm particularly interested in the fact that Betsy doesn't seem invested in Britain as an institution. Betsy 
wants to be Captain Britain because Betsy has always wanted to be Captain Britain because Brian was chosen to be Captain Britain instead of her. It's her father's legacy. It's more about other world for her than it is about the country. And that's why in Ten of Swords, they thought it was interesting that she and Brian talk about doing it for country or whatever. And she says, yours and mine, meaning his country, the UK, and her country, Krakoa. And the fact that Captain Britain is Krakoan, that the omniversal representatives are mutants now, that all of these different Captain Britain seats are occupied by mutants. We've seen one of them is called Captain Krakoica. We're complicating the Britishness of the Captain Britain Corps in a way that I think is useful. I think that we'll get more. I think that we can see that Britain is not happy with Betsy as the choice, right? Because they don't like that a mutant is Captain Britain. You pointed that out. What do other British characters make of it is an interesting question. I don't think Faiza Hussein would have a problem with it because Faiza Hussein, first of all, in an alternate timeline, became Captain Britain. Faiza Hussein also worked closely with Brian. Faiza is a character who British nationalists who are right-wing, she's certainly not sympathetic to that, but she does seem very happy to be British. Like, that doesn't, you know. So I think that there's space for a variety of opinions here from different characters. I would love to see Betsy talking to Sean and Siren and Black Tom about Ireland because Sean, his wife was killed by the IRA in a bombing. So he's not enormously sympathetic to Irish independence, right? But Siren is because she was raised by Black Tom, who definitely is. I would like to see more of this stuff in general. I think that with people like Cy Spurrier and Al Ewing in the X office, these perspectives are going to be represented. All of these people talk all the time, and the current political situation in Britain is obviously very complicated. What would Pixie think about it? I don't know. But I think that it would be a nice parallel if, as we said, Pixie's mother is part of some royal court in other worlds, because then it would be like, Pixie could be pro-Welsh independence and think that British patriotism is dumb, and then encounter her mother who's part of like a royal court in fantasy Britain. Like, it would be a fun point of tension, you know, because she was raised by these working class Welsh humans that her mother left her with. You could do that kind of divide. Certainly, Mastermind is very pro-aristocracy. He was <laughs> grasping and desperate to become an aristocrat. That was his whole thing. So that could be interesting. What I would say is I think that people being a little apprehensive about the notion of Captain Britain in this time of upheaval makes sense. But I also trust the writers who are on these characters. And I think that this stuff will be explored to some extent. But on the other hand, like how many American characters work with Captain America who are not pro-American militarism, right? Like it's also just a tradition of the flag suit hero that is part of comic books. and. I'm interested in the idea of Betsy being like Steve Rogers in the sense of being someone who is embodying what they want the country to be, not what it is, and who is trying to make the country stronger and better and to be a representative of the potential they see in the nation that raised them, but that they are apprehensive about, you know? I mean, Betsy certainly does not like the Tories because, I mean, Jim Jasper has put her through hell. Like, 
We know that the Braddocks are Remainers. That has been established on page. I think that real world politics are always tricky in superhero comics, especially because they date quickly. It's hard to start talking about Brexit when you need the world of the Marvel Universe to remain somewhat timeless, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, here's the story I would love. What if a Scottish person who is extremely pro-Scottish independence gets empowered and takes up the name Caledonia, which is the name that Alisanne Stewart used as an alternate Captain Britain from Scotland in Chris Claremont's Fantastic Four run in the 90s. What if we have a new Caledonia who like wants to pick a fight with Betsy because she's like Captain Britain? Ah, Scotland will be free. Like, why not do that? You know, I would love to see, I mean, Frankly, I would love to see Irish characters in general deal with Irish politics because they never fucking have ever. Shamrock? No, thank you. Like we need, uh, you know, she's cute and all, but like, no, we need something more. And, you know, we, we saw this a little bit with um, with that miniseries, The Union, mm -hmm. which was very provocative, I think, intentionally and had a Northern Irish character, although he was a bunch of snakes in a cloak so i don't know you know he's necessarily <laughs> i found that very funny but i i get why it didn't hit for for everyone you know i i just think that to me it's like captain america i don't think we need to do away with captain america because america is an imperialist fucked up state i think that captain america needs to be in dialogue with that fact and i think that foils like us agent are used to interrogate what it means to be Captain America, what it means to be Steve as Captain America. And I think that Betsy similarly can be Captain Britain without necessarily upholding British imperialism. But I do think that that's something the book will have to tackle, much as Captain America often has had to tackle that question. I'm excited to see what happens. I don't know what Pixie would think of it, but in terms of my thoughts on the subject, those are my thoughts. I love Betsy. I love the Captain Britain lore. I am not pro-British Empire, and I think that all of those things can be compatible, just like I think you can be a leftist who loves Captain America, because there is so much in that character that is not jingoistic, that is not about upholding state power unfortunately you need the writers to be on board because sometimes that swung wildly that pendulum captain america was created in the hopes that it would drive america to just action against the nazis which is militaristic but is a different context the idea of him was always let's push america to be better and with captain britain i think the idea was always let's interrogate britain so I think that there will be interrogation. We just got the core back. I think we need to wait and see how that's going to shake out. And I am biased because my friend and client writes Excalibur, but I trust this writing team. And I think that especially now that there are several British people on the team who certainly I don't think are right wing at all, I have no doubt that these themes are going to be teased out. That's my thought. And thank you for writing in about this because I don't want my Captain Britain standum to be interpreted as me being like, yes, keep the union together at all. Like, I'm very much not. I'm all for Scottish independence, Irish independence. I don't know anything about Welsh independence, but why not? So that's my long ramble. You know, I'm American again. I'm not the most equipped to talk about this, but I, I think that the character could be more than that. And I think she is and will be. Do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> 
Um, you know, not not particularly. You're from France. <laughs> you have like a European. When did you come to America? Like what age? Uh, I was around five. Um, okay, so, so I've spent like most super... of my time here. I am invested in American politics more so than yeah the long-standing feud between France and Britain. Yeah, I was gonna say like, what are your thoughts on <laughs> Captain Britain as a Frenchman? Down with Captain Britain. Not very many French mutants, so I don't have a lot to stand on. Yeah, I would say nationalism is always tricky, uh, but I think that if you're reading Excalibur, the story is that particular element of the story is still very much at the beginning. Yeah. And and we've seen the seeds planted, but we've also had to take a lot of diversions because of uh, Ten of Swords mainly um, and the fallout. Yeah, there was a lot of setup for Ten of Swords mm-hmm. that I think we're now through. And then we had to get Betsy back. And yeah. then we had to deal with the Betsy and Kanon 30-year mess. So there were some decks to put in a row. Um, I, I'm hopeful that I think that that story is going to continue happening. And I think, like you said, Betsy's opinions don't seem necessarily explicitly pro-monarchy or uh, senselessly pro-monarchy. I know that she met with the queen in that one issue. She met with the queen, but I, I it seemed like a formality more than it's like she met with the queen because she loves the queen. Right. You know what I mean? And if you go back to the original Captain Britain stuff, the Braddocks are aristocracy, but they are aristocracy that had fallen somewhat on hard times financially Mm -hmm. and while they had their estate and were you know the kids didn't experience any hardship socially they were isolated from the rest of the Beaumont because the other aristocratic people the lords and ladies of England or whatever thought that they were trashy or that the bloom was off the rose at Braddock Manor (laughs) you know and in part, that's because their father is from Otherworld and might have had a different sensibility. Be a freak. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that character's a mess. We can get into that some other time. But it's an important part of Brian's backstory, and so presumably Betsy's as well, that their peers in the peerage were not interested in socializing with them. And the, the Braddocks were seen as sort of an embarrassing family. I think that might help explain Betsy's ambivalence toward the British state, which we have seen. I mean, she's also lived in America now for a really long time. Mm -hmm. When she was put back in her own body and she became Captain Britain as she'd always dreamed of being, I think that she leaned into it really hard. I'm a knight of Avalon. I'm doing this whole thing. And I think that, that the Britishness of it is just an aesthetic for her. You know what I mean? She chafes against it immediately. Mm-hmm. she's Krakoan. she's not really british anymore she doesn't really have any interest in like speaking to parliament she doesn't really care what coven akaba thinks about her like all of this stuff to me it's leading toward something more and that's not to say that she won't continue to be captain britain but i think that the fact that captain britain doesn't like britain seems important to the story And I think it would be interesting, um, you know, if it's Pixie or if it's another character. I I do like the interpretation of Pixie of a very pro-working class, very kind of pro-Wales. I don't know, obviously, enough about Welsh independence to kind of firmly put her in that camp. And I also feel like she's probably lived her kind of She doesn't seem super political. Yeah. Yeah, And she would have come of age and kind of become politically aware in the U.S., it seems. Right. But... I, you know, I, I like the idea of a character with that background kind of maybe tapping on Betsy's chest and just being like, that doesn't mean to me what you think it means. And Betsy being like, oh, this is kind of my cool armor, isn't it? 
Right. Like Betsy grappling with the fact that she is this nationalist symbol. Because I don't think Betsy thinks of Captain Britain that way. Well, Betsy just keeps taking L's from from humans and mutants. and, And she's just keeping her head above water and feels like, why are people not seeing me as a hero? And it's for all the wrong reasons. And for Betsy, Captain Britain is her father's title and her brother's title. And she was the girl who wasn't allowed to be it. It's real like Britain is such an afterthought to her <laughs> that it's almost like she's continually surprised. Yeah. That like, oh yeah, I have to like I have to answer Pete Wisdom's calls. Well he keeps saying, like, this is what the British government wants you to do. And she's like, I'm and she's gonna like, keep I don't pushing. care. <laughs> right. Like I truly don't care. Yeah. I'm dealing with Otherworld right now and with mutant stuff, and I don't care what Boris Johnson wants me to do. Right. You know? So I'm hoping it's that kind of Steve Rogersy thing where at his best, Steve is written as a way to embrace a country while critiquing it. And I think that Betsy, who was taken out of a British context forcibly and put in a different context and now he's back in the Braddock fold trying to grapple with all of that legacy of her family and her past. I just think that there's a lot there that's meaty and interesting and I'm excited to see where it goes. But yeah, I think that having Pixie be like, what do you think about Welsh independence? Like, here's the thing. It might be fun because I bet Betsy would be like, sounds great. Like, love that for you. Like, Betsy is, again, like, she's not... She's not that invested in like the British Empire as an institution. So you could do a lot of interesting stuff with the character, even though she's wearing the nationalist symbols. Like you can subvert them to some extent, maybe. I don't know. Again, not British. So the intricacies of this are a little bit lost on me, but that's my take. We just need like 1,500 more issues of Excalibur to kind of figure all this stuff out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Josh, is there anything else you would like to say about Pixie? I think she has a point. She is the moment. Um, she is the ooh ah sensation. I think people need to give her a shot. If anything, I want you to just feel delighted when she pops up in the background. She is the cameo queen. I would love to see, you know, her take a more X-Men focused role. I mean, back in Wolverine and the X-Men, she graduated to the X-Men. Like they explicitly right. say she has graduated school and she has joined the ranks of the X-Men. Like, that is... They they say that Armor joins um, the, like, the grad program, whatever that means. But Pixie explicitly joins and becomes an X-Men. So I would love to see her take her place on the team that she has rightfully earned. But I'm really excited to see Way of X. I think that it's going to be something really interesting. And I hope that they're having some good convos about her in the X-Writers Slack. <laughs> That's my dream. I'm excited to see where she goes, where Way of X goes, and how Way of X interfaces with all of the other books, because Mm -hmm. it's asking a lot of really interesting and provocative questions about nation building, actually, to go back to the Captain Britain of it all. So, you know, what does it mean to create a state? What does it mean to have state power? These are things that Way of X is interrogating. I'm excited to see where it all goes. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being my guest. This was incredibly pleasant thank you so much for having me the only part that i'm upset about is that this is not a new episode for me to listen to next week that is the cost (laughs) of appearing um but i love cerebro i'm such a fan you have made me a fan of characters that i wasn't a fan of 
Um, like I said, I haven't done enough reading of, of you know, the early stuff. Um, so you've taken me through a ton of it and, and inspired me to go back and read a ton of it. It's really exciting. Well, that's I love to hear that. So I'm glad to know that it's happened. That's the agenda, right? Like <laughs> I'm going to make everybody read all of the 80s material and then talk about it with me for the rest of my life. That's my goal <laughs> at the end of the day. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and then plug anything that you want to plug? Yeah. Um, so I'm most active on Twitter these days because I find every other social media troublesome. But um, I am at Josh Cornillon. That's J-O-S-H-C-O-R-N-I-L-L-O-N. Um, I'm that on um, Twitter and Instagram. And my website is just that.com. And thank you so much for everyone who sent in questions and said something nice about my work. That'll sustain me for many weeks to come. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of your work, you and I might be cooking something up in the near future. So Ooh. people can keep their eyes open for that. It's going to be fun. Yep. Don't ask me about it. That's all you're getting. <laughs> You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes at Cerebrocast.com, where you can also find a link to the Cerebro Fan Discord. Please join the conversation and have fun with us. Don't bring any bad vibes. You can support Cerebro on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cerebrocast for $5 a month at the House of Zaladin tier. You will get exclusive access to two monthly bonus episodes. I am recording the second one soon. It was only going to be once a month and I like doing it and the support on the Patreon has been crazy. So I want you all to feel like you're getting your money's worth. So I'm going to do two. The uh, first episode was kind of an ask me anything that was fun. The second bonus episode is going to be a full breakdown of all 12 appearances of Zaladane, Queen of the Sun people. And we're going to really dig into the Zaladane of it all. So Next month, there will be two entirely new and fresh and different bonus episodes, and God only knows what they'll be. You can write in to Cerebro with your questions at CerebroCast at gmail.com. Next week's episode will feature Modoc showrunner Jordan Bloom, who will be here to talk about Sally Blevins' Skids. A pretty obscure character who he brought back in the Modoc Head Games miniseries. And I found that charming and reached out and was like, would you like to come talk about skids? Because I can't imagine who else would. And he said, absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to talk about skids and also about the new Modoc show. If you have questions for me or Jordan, please email cerebrocast.gmail.com. I'll also just say up front, if you have questions about Monet Sanquois, Start getting them in now because that's happening in May to coincide with X-Corp. And I want to make sure I cover everything because that character is a mess. Until next time, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is 